episode, whatever he podcast episode 29, the liberated episode. We're liberated because we have no table. Yeah, that's silver linings and all. I mean, we don't really need a good table to make a podcast. No, it's kind of like freeballing a little bit, only you can't actually put your glass of beer on your balls, unless yeah. you're Ralph Garman, I guess. We, we have a nice, um, like, play school table here instead that's, you know, holding keyboards and beers right now, so it's cool. It's, you know, it, again, just like the professionals, like I imagine when you go to the set of this, or the, the studio of This American Life, probably just play school tables and beer. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Pop filters that, that suck shit, you know. <laughs> they don't suck. Go back to our show notes from a couple of links ago and buy it. Yeah. They're fine. <laughs> Hey, the mics actually are pretty impressive actually, the mics for the really for well. the price for the price of the kit. But yeah, the pop filters leave a little something to be desired. Most shock mounts are a little bit loosey goosey. Stupid arm thingy. This stupid arm thingy sucks. But yeah. anyway, buy it anyway so you can give us money. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, uh, we've got all kinds of stuff. Um, we've we we're all caught up on Arrow, Flash, and Legends of tomorrow. Yeah, you want to hit the you want to hit the TV talk first. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, that stuff. we got a whole bunch of comic stuff this week. Um, we've got uh, some more Marvel stuff, a um, little bit more on Deadpool. Uh, we've got some Xena Warrior Princess news. That's kind of cool. All right, sure. It's not necessarily good news, but we've got news. We're caught up on The Walking Dead. We're going to talk about The Walking Dead TV show and comic book. Yes. Spoilers for those of you reading or watching either, but, you know, whatever, that's what we do. And we've got some video game news, too, or topics anyway. Right on. All right, let's okay. get to it. So, um, let's let's address the uh, the big shark in the room. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit of King Shark. Yeah, King Shark. Um, I'm just sad because they've got no CG budget left. Like the rest of it's just going to be like handcrafted paper cutout drawings of of <laughs> the Flash going really fast for the rest of the season. Yeah, that was that was um, a pretty impressive display of CG. And I normally am not a huge proponent of CG, but I don't think you can really do King Shark with practical effects. Not well. I mean, it would end up looking like Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk or something like that. Yeah, I I actually I follow uh, Grant Gustin on Instagram and. Uh, he actually uh, posted one of the like the poster, the the Jaws looking poster of for this week's episode, and he made the comment that this is the episode that he was the most afraid to do, and he wanted to be clear that he wasn't uh, knocking his visual effects team in any way, shape, or form. He just was very apprehensive about how hard doing uh, King Shark would be, uh, and they did a really good job. I mean, first off, King Shark on TV, like, is that not something that that is just like it? What a wonderful age we live in where we get to see, like, real comic book shit on TV. And it's actually really well done. Like, yeah. I really like the episode. Um, yeah, I'd be a little apprehensive, too. You know, like, I've, there's been a lot of actors that are talking about how hard it is to work against a green screen and stuff like that. But, um, fortunately, in this case, lots of Grant's parts, you know, especially the the, the sort of finale of the episode, um, you know, he was CG in those, too. So. Right. Um, yeah, it it was a good story i liked i liked the a lot of the elements about the story um we've seen king shark one time previously and that was the episode where um wells was reintroduced uh in season two yeah good which was a brilliant way to bring in that character too like to, to play king shark into the flash universe yeah like, like i remember being like what the and then he's down like two seconds later yeah and then um in another fucking shining glaring moment of how characters from arrow really shine when they come over to the 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 flash tv show um this one actually featured john diggle and and his wife um whose name escapes me 
Mrs. John Diggle. Mrs. John Diggle. <laughs> Except for I don't think that's even true. I don't think no. she took his name. No. Whatever. Um, who's the taking over? Argus yeah, chick, she's, yeah, she's taking over Argus. Um, and those two come to town because King Shark actually was in their care, uh, unbeknownst to them until the beginning of this episode. Yeah, because like uh, um, Richard Waller, number one or something like that, left him there, and they're like, well. He's under. He's been under the water for like 35 seconds, and it's not like he's a shark or anything like that. Better turn off all the security. Yeah, he might be dead. Let's go ahead and disable all all security and, and wait and see what happens. Yeah, because if he's dead, we need to get in there right now. You right. Know? Yeah. Great. Great thinking. Um, uh, so, super, super solid episode overall. I, I mean, I really... The, the Flash is still just really, really enjoyable, enjoyable to me. I really liked all the little... Um, so at the end of the last episode, we got to see Jay being basically brutally murdered by Zoom and being sucked back in through the uh, uh, um, breach, the wormhole thingy mm-hmm. to Earth 2. Um, so we get to see how Caitlin reacts to that, you know, and, and it was really funny because everybody, you know, Wells is all, you can't tell the other people about your experiences at Earth 2. Like, Barry, don't tell Iris and, and uh, uh, um, Dad. Joe. Fuck. I, don't tell Iris and Joe about how Joe died and Iris was a cop and all that stuff. Don't tell... Uh, um, don't tell Caitlin she was Killer Frost. Yeah, definitely don't do that. You know, whatever. And so, like, halfway through the episode, they had all uh, already told everybody. I'm sure Wells is just, like, forehead smack, like, what are you doing? But anyway... What, what was funny is that uh, Cisco didn't. Cisco was the only one who was really trying hard not to, not to let Caitlin in on anything... And then she finds out and totally, totally fucking pranks yeah. Cisco. So good, too. One of the most beautiful moments of the show. It was hilarious. It, it kind of had me going for a minute, too. Like, for about a half a second, then I was like, oh, no, okay, I got it. Yeah. But, yeah, it was really, really funny. Um, and then uh, we get... Should we skip to the end? Is there anything, really, we want to go into the episode? Um. Yeah, the story of King Shark is kind of almost the subplot, even though it's, like, the title of the episode is King Shark. Yeah, I mean, you do get to see a couple of cool King Shark fights and stuff like that, but it's a lot more about the consequences of uh, things that happen in Earth 2. So Barry does, of course, reveal the whole thing about um, uh, um, Iris and Joe on Earth 2 and how that all went down. There's some, you know, questioning drama stuff about that. Uh, oh, I actually, I forgot, too. We, we also see Wally and Barry interact a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. In which it's not kind of, it's not pretty, really. No, Wally um, very much feels like the redheaded stepchild, essentially. Yeah, and he kind of is. I mean, it's not... It's through no fault of his own, really. I mean, it was the old lady that didn't uh, didn't tell Joe about him until she was dying and whatnot. So, yeah. like, you can't really blame Joe and you can't really blame Barry. But, I mean, I, I kind of get the dynamic. Um, yeah. The In an unprecedented move, uh, during the King Shark attack, uh, Barry uh, flashed out and, and did that whole fight and then came back in, as, in, back in character as Barry Allen uh, without revealing to Wally that he is in fact the flash. Yeah. Um, making Wally about the third person in central city who doesn't know yet. Yeah. Um, and, but it also kind of creates an interesting dynamic where Wally thinks that Barry is totally a coward because he just was gone throughout the entire thing. Um, and I think that's a dynamic we haven't really dealt with at all. Um, in this show. No. Um, it's very reminiscent of the, uh, Clark always disappearing as soon as something bad happens on Smallville. Yeah. And they're um, like, oh, that's just Clark. He's he's a coward. Yeah. <laughs> um, plus, I kind of like this uh, dynamic because Barry is pretty much like he's such a good guy that's like awesome at everything that you just kind of want to hate him. 
like I'm sure you know somebody like that that's just like oh he's such a good guy that's so awesome at everything you want to hate him but you just can't wait I'm not the guy that you know that's like that right mm. <laughs> so anyway well but Wally Wally you know is clearly feeling some animosity towards Barry you know a little bit a little bit of a fatherly you know competition so to speak so anyway that's a kind of an interesting subplot dynamic thing but but th- this episode um really comes down I'm, I'm calling it now by the way hmm? after the the final confrontation with zoom um there's going to be some shit going down with the speed force and wally is going to start exhibiting oh speedster yeah. type behaviors and then barry is going to reveal himself to wally at that point in time that's I th- yeah, I think so. Barry will sort of end up being the mentor, uh, um, you know, sort of all out of the comics, not exactly, but kind of. I mean, I mean, uh, and I'm just going to say this right now. Um, I've been on board with a lot of theories, including uh, Thorgy's, yeah. uh, which turns out <laughs> not correct. <laughs> not correct at all. Because in the end, we get to see Zoom and he says, well, that's inconvenient and then takes off his mask only to reveal... At least the face of Jay Dun, Garrick. dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we assume it's Hunter's Allman, right? Yeah, I think it must be. Um, like, I, what I'm cu- curious about is um, if Jay Garrick, so the actual Jay Garrick that we've seen so far, I thought was, you know, the only Jay Garrick up until this point. What I'm wondering is if he got the theory wrong. Like, what I'm wondering is if Earth, uh, they're twins, and the Jay Garrick we see, um, presumably, in the the hoodie... You know the the man in the the J and the Iron Mask, right? I'm wondering if he is not the Earth Two Jay Garrick, and there's actually an Earth. Uh, I'm sorry, he's not the Earth One Jay Garrick that Zoom has kidnapped, and that uh, Earth Two Jay Garrick is his doppelganger. And then we have Hunter Zolomon from Earth Two, otherwise known as Zoom, and then Hunter Zolomon from Earth One, who is the hunter that Jay mistakenly thought was his doppelganger. Because of the DNA similarities. Perhaps separated at birth on both universes. Yeah, precisely. I, I, I kind of actually, you kind of have to figure that's the way they're going with it. Unless maybe they're doing some weird Speed Force time me and why me shenanigans, uh, which is possible. They could but... also be uh, introducing the idea of not just a um, a parallel universe, but but the actual multiverse as well. Oh, like he's like Earth 4 or something. Yeah, yeah. He, could be, he could be a completely different one. Um, that would actually be other... kind of interesting because presumably Earth Earth One Jay Garrick, if said person exists, is not the Flash, and I I really don't want to lose our Flash Jay Garrick. Right. Um. Yeah, it'll be it'll be super interesting to see how everything goes down, and also there could be some backstory that's revealed about the Jay the person that we knew as Jay Garrick. Maybe isn't Jay Garrick, and maybe he's not even as good of a dude as we thought he was. Um, we know he was obviously hooked on some kind of speed drug. Yeah. Maybe he never was the Flash. Maybe the only reason he ever had speed in the first place was because of uh, Velocity Six or whichever particular Velocity he was. How does it? Taking. How how do they explain that in the show? I mean, I know comic Jay Garrick is you know an accident in the lab, and I think that's kind of what they said in the show, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Forgive me. I mean, me if I wonder I, if the accident if I don't is like remember the accident was like um. I accidentally made this really cool drug that accidentally gave me superpowers. And then I kept taking it. Yeah, and I tripped and like injected myself like four or seventeen times. <laughs> yeah, because it was really cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, we don't know, and that's that. Again, one of the wonderful dynamics about this show is they they keep it interesting by not paralleling everything that ever happened in the comic books. Yeah. Um, and th- and at the same time, developing the characters. Huge, huge again 
we're gonna we're gonna harp on this again in, in the next topic anyway but there's a right way to develop characters and then there's a way to not develop them at all interesting you should mention um so yeah i i anyway flash is still really good they do have a good character development i really would mirror what you say about you know having a a shared history with the comics but it's still different enough to be interesting sort of like how we i think we talked about this in the last episode how we feel about the walking dead comic right. versus the walking dead tv show so anyway let's move on to uh the felicity smoke show shall we <laughs> or is it yeah so stop me if you've heard this one before um lana i mean felicity uh, finds out Clark's, I mean, uh, Ollie's secret and gets all pissed off about it. And then presumably she gets hit in the head in the next episode and forgets about it. Yeah. More or less. I don't know. It, it, I, this just struck me as very much like the worst part of Smallville, the worst CWE sort of bullshit episode. This is, this episode was actually worse than, than like Smallville CWE. This, this is, uh, like OC CWE. Th- this was like Tumblr fan fiction. Like, I, I don't even... Uh, the, like I, Fifty I almost, Shades of Felicity is probably the next property that they develop. Right. Like th- this, uh, I, I swear to God, I wouldn't be surprised if they just changed it to the Felicity Smoke Show. She's a strong, independent woman. Don't need no man. So much so that she gives up her paraly- uh, paralyzing illness and then immediately walks out on Oliver. <laughs> All right. Like, so fan fiction. So we kind of jumped the shark a little bit on that one. But <laughs> yeah, it just makes me so mad. It makes um, me so mad. Speaking of bad TV writing, but... <laughs> I don't know, man. This is this is a painful episode to watch because on one hand, like the whole dynamic with uh, Damian Dark capturing William was really good. I did, kind of, yeah, I did enjoy that. And then also introducing Vixen, um, or reintroducing Vixen um, into the show, also really good. Like the whole dynamic of Vixen and her figuring out the magic totem shit with Dark and that whole piece of it was actually really good. Yeah. Um fucking drama the back and forth between oh you didn't tell me you had a kid well i couldn't tell you i had a kid well yeah you could have i mean that's I, yeah. I thought that from that whole episode is like okay so what if he tells felicity and then they agree to keep it between themselves and that way bitch face over here doesn't have to know that felicity knows see you know what i mean like that that's what one of, okay so don't get me wrong kind of both characters drive me really nuts in this whole episode storyline thing because yeah exactly like just forever forever and ever from here on out just assume that anybody who has a spouse if you tell them that your secret the spouse probably knows too yeah like if if they're at least you know in a good marriage relationship the spouse probably knows too like there is no don't hide you know hide this thing from your wife type of thing in, unless you know it's specifically something that needs to be hidden from your wife yeah th- i mean this is this is coming from two guys that are actually married you know in real yeah. life and shit like we as married guys uh, like to have sex and on occasion um, the second that the uh, spouse in the relationship finds out that you're hiding something you risk the possibility of not actually getting to have sex anymore <laughs> so honesty is the best policy yeah well again and the thing is is that we actually I think you know fairly well like our spouses yeah been through some shit mostly I even like your spouse yeah see there you go <laughs> <laughs> um um so yeah that threw me off um <laughs> backstory um we've known each other like 20 years like yeah both eddie and i and ashley his wife so that's yeah. that's why it's funny yeah so uh, the thing about that is is like yeah I, I completely agree like it's such a stupid plot point to hang up on anyway because the the chick i can't even remember her name is it melody melanie no 
Ma- Malay- Samantha. Samantha. Well, that was close. <laughs> I Samantha. Think. I think. Whatever the fuck her name is. She's <laughs> she's basically scenery right now anyway. Should have understood that there's no way you can hide that from your, you know, significant other that way. Like, it just, it's not a thing that exists in the world, and it's too easy to find out anyway. As we've seen, because basically everybody in the whole goddamn Arrow universe has found out already anyway. Yeah, Thea figured it out last episode. Yeah. The episode before last. I don't know if this scene was intended to be comical, but when Felicity's like, so John knows. And and Laurel's like, well, I kind of, yeah, no, I need to. And Thea's like, oh, yeah, 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 I knew. I found out last week. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, like, the, their cleaning lady walks in and is like, yeah, me know, me know. Mm. How, how, how'd you baby, Oliver? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was that was really inconsiderate and racist, and I apologize. I Because I, my head immediately pictured the cleaning lady from Family Guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, didn't they actually have a, a Spanish cleaning lady? Maria? I think so, yeah. Because, well, first off, again, being totally racist, like every Spanish cleaning lady, I think that's the cleaning lady's name in Family Guy, too. And I'm pretty sure that the cleaning lady um, that Schwarzenegger knocked up was also of Spanish descent. I don't know if her name was Maria, but I I think Maria is actually his wife's name. Maria Shriver. Maria Shriver, yeah. Yeah. Well, this just became like a social study of like racism and cleaning ladies in... Yeah. TV and um, podcasts, as it turns out. Well, it turns out white people are too lazy to actually clean things. So mm, I guess that's less of a racist statement against Latino folks and more of a gr- gross generalization of how lazy white people are. True. Um. Wow. Digression. <laughs> so that that was, again, not sure if intentionally funny, but funny scene. Basically, everybody already knows that Oliver has a kid. Except for his wife, or yeah. soon-to-be wife. Another thing that really pissed me off about the dumb writing in this episode, Oliver knows that, like, literally one of his worst surviving enemies right now knows where his son is. And he's like, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just, I'll leave him with his mom, who's a, you know, stereotypical soccer mom, knows nothing, has no protections. I'll leave, I'll leave those two alone. They'll be fine. Even though, like... Malcolm Hurley, uh, who got- I just fucking betrayed... Yeah, basically no. just added him to his Find My Friends at, you know app on his iPhone, and that'll that'll be fine. No worries. Like, yeah. no big deal. Like, as long as I don't tell Felicity, we're fine. What, one of the best parts of this episode, though, was uh, um, 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 Captain Captain Lance. Yeah. Uh, he's like, did I know Oliver had a kid? No. Am I surprised he knocked some bitch up? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, see, now that was clearly intentionally supposed to be funny, and yeah. it, really, it really worked. Paul um, Blackthorne, again, like, this season has some of the most incredible dialogue in the entire show. And that's not saying a lot, necessarily, but I think he could hold his own on other shows, too. Like, he's... Yeah. I, I like him. His his character is probably one of my favorites this season. You son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, I love... Yeah, I love Paul Blackthorne, so he gets a pass. But, um, I just... The, again, so so much stupidity. It just drives me up the Ooh, wall. Before we get to the, the worst moment of the entire episode, let's talk about the second worst moment. Go on. Okay. So Baby Mama walks in and looks at Laurel, and he was like... And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have said something a long time ago. I should have been honest with you. And Laurel's like, no, Oliver should have. And then, like, <laughs> cue five minutes later, and she's, like, fuming about it. Yeah, in, in Lance's office, and she's like, "I just have feelings about this," and I'm like, "Really?" Because 
You he cheated on you with your sister. Yeah, see, it's kind of funny. Like, um, a little bit. I think they're setting up like, uh, um, maybe because I I don't think the Felicity is gonna stick around forever. Um, because I I think if anything else, if nothing else, the fans will demand this be moved on from. So I'm I'm kind of le- leaning back towards like the more comic-y storyline where he gets together with uh, Laurel at some point. Yeah. Again, so I think they're setting up a little bit for that. Maybe you know, just giving and secondly, because it would give Laurel something to fucking do in the show. I I um, just think it's ridiculous the whole dynamic with, like, the whole premise of the show is based on the fact that for years everybody thought that he got her sister killed because he was cheating on her with the sister, and yet this is somehow worse. Yeah, I don't <laughs> see. Like, I didn't get that vibe. I didn't get like Laurel was like, oh yeah, this is so much worse than when I found out he was totally fucking my sister. Um, but I did get the um, you know, like jealousy vibe, which I I thought was you know that actually made a little bit of sense to me. Like, even though it was a long time ago, and he, Oliver's clearly shown he's done way worse shit to her than that, I did kind of get that because it's kind of like you some bitch, like you know, like all of this stuff and then more still. Yeah, and if you're right, I mean and, and if we are setting up the stage for possibly a, a an Oliver Laurel reunion, that's that's totally fine and I I guess I can forgive the terrible fucking melodrama dr- dramatic dialogue there in that oh, scene. Th- this is not how I would have fucking gone about it for sure. Like But yeah. Anyway, so let's let's address the big felicity in the room. Yeah. Um okay, this is seriously well, hold like Hold on, hold on. We got to set the stage though. Last episode for an engagement gift. Curtis. Curtis. Curtis gave her a microchip to implant in her spine to cure her paralysis, which we find out at the beginning of the episode, or we assume at the beginning of this episode, isn't working. I think we get a little sliver of a hint. Like, she can't walk, but I think she does, like, kick one of the wheelchair pedally things or something. That happens, like, right at the scene we're talking about. Oh, okay. No movement at all. I, yeah. I, see, for some reason, I'm remembering her, like, moving her leg or something like that at the beginning and having hope from that or whatever. But no, because also in one of the most oddly coincidental things, it turns out, and maybe this is mentioned and I didn't pay that much attention because he's a background character on top of background characters, but Curtis's husband, whose name I can't even remember because he's a background character entirely. Turns out to be a physical therapist. Felicity's, in fact. Felicity's, in fact. And that's how they, he met Curtis. And okay, whatever. But um, Who was training to be an Olympian. With that, that, that <laughs> was some sort. That was the most, like, of what the fuck moments in this episode. Like, that was up there. Because nobody that smart has ever been in the Olympics. See, now, that I, w- <laughs> that I wouldn't give you. But Cur- Curtis is, uh, I, I mean... Like, don't get me wrong. He's a little I, soft. I, yeah, I, I've got some. I've got some uh, soggier bits of the midsection, you know, as Will Smith might say. But, uh, damn, like yeah. no, <laughs> like no. Yeah. It's like when it, it was like Hermes and Futurama level of like stupidity. Like, except for their like, being maybe intentionally it was Olympic funny. disc golf. Yeah, I was just gonna say, or, or like he's curling or something. Yeah, and, and I don't mean like bicep. I mean like the like you know that stupid sport shuffleboard curling. thingy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so that, that whole thing was hilarious, but, uh, anyway, Curtis, Curtis's husband, you know, basically is helping her through her phys- physical therapy, which is not working out so well at all. No, she tries to walk once and gives up entirely. Yeah. So we get to the end of the episode. Stephen because Amell. that's the felicity we've been trained to know. Yeah. Stephen Amell is, uh, gives actually one of the, probably the best acted scenes in this series. Like, I'm not even I'm not even joking. No, like, and this is this is funny because the scene that he's talking about is when he's he's saying his farewell to his son via a um webcam recorded message. Yeah, basically saying, you know, like 
I'm sorry, but I can't be there for you now. And he doesn't quite come out and say, cause I'm the green arrow, but you get like, basically like it, my life is too dangerous, you know, blah, blah, blah. It really well acted scene by, by Stephen Amell. If you follow Stephen Amell on Facebook in any way, shape or form, you have seen him record these videos before, which is why I laughed so fucking hard when I saw him do this. The, the first, I'm bit, like, that's the look on his face. I know like, the, the first, <laughs> the first bit you almost expected him to say Facebook. Yeah. Stephen Amell here, you know, like I'm live. <laughs> But no, he, he did actually give a really good performance there. Like, I really enjoyed it. And once you get away from the fact that, yeah, we've kind of seen him in that same exact position 40 million times on Facebook. But right. uh, it was a good scene overall. And then Felicity walks in and Felicity's well, like... She rolls in. Let's... let's right, right. Sorry. More specifically, Felicity rolls in and then proceeds to get all bitchy. Like, oh, now that your son's safe and you're clearly dealing with tons and tons of emotional turmoil from having to basically give up any hope of being with your son. Here's my ring back. Here's my ring back. Like... With like a two second, two sentence preamble of like, you can't trust me, so here's the ring back and we can't be together. And then, and she, then her foot kicks the wheel. Yeah, her foot kicks the wheel. And then she's like, oh, yeah, look what I can do. Bum, 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 and walks out of the fucking room. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly that. It's like, it reminded me kind of of Scrooge. Uh, maybe it's Scrooge. I can't. Yeah, it's Scrooge. Um, in Scrooge, they're doing the play of uh, Scrooge and they have, uh, what's their name? 80s Gymnast. I can't remember her name. Mary Lou Retton. Yeah, Mary Lou Retton. They have Mary Lou Retton playing the part of Tiny Tim. And at some point she, you know, casts off her crutches and does like 18 backflips or something across the room. Yeah. Like it was like that level of like, are you serious right now? Only in this case, Felicity backflipped her way out of Oliver's life seemingly forever. Yeah. Just ridiculous. Um, so Felicity just kicks the wheel one time, gets up, casually walks out of the room. Like, fuck all the shit you're dealing with. You're like, that's when Oliver should have been like, what? Really? I, I really hope the next episode opens with her coming back in the room being like, just kidding. Yeah. JK, you you probably thought I was a horrible person there for a second, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I mean, she like, even we breaks got the some fourth, shit we got to work out. Maybe Let's she be honest, breaks but, the fourth wall and talks to the audience. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The, 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 that was just the... the probably one of the worst, most CWE moments ever, because, you know, if you had this sort of situation with an actual couple who, you know, like actually love each other, um, a Stephen Amell, or, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Ollie would have been all super excited about Felicity being able to walk. He was like that. Yeah. He was for like a half a second. A, well, he... Yeah. That's the thing. Again, in this scene, like none of the bad stuff in this is really, really related to his performance in any way, shape or form. It's just not a very well-written scene. No, it's terrible. Like, it's straight up terrible. And I like Felicity. I do. I just don't... I did. She, I, I, the, the, she's become such a driving for, factor in the show, and not the good Felicity. Like, they've rewritten her character yeah. into being this, like, drama-inducing, uh, you know, sort of bullshitty... You know, like, there's not really a lot of actual real problems. Okay, so this one, for example, like, on The Flash, I feel like... If the same sort of storyline happened on the Flash, and let's just say for some reason we're in the future, Barry and Iris have a kid, and they or Barry and Iris are together, and she finds out that Barry's got a kid from years and years and years ago when he was a Playboy, they'd have talked that shit out, and they would have moved on. Like they would have been like, "Oh no, we actually love each other. We're married, and all that kind of shit. Yeah, we've been through hell and back." Like they would have talked that shit out and moved on. Well, and here's the thing, Barry wouldn't have hidden it anyway. Oh yeah, see you know what I mean. That's the other thing that and drives Barry me nuts. told Oliver like half a season ago or at the mid-season crossover thing hey um not telling her is the wrong decision by the way yeah i really like that like at some point barry's gonna you know like he shows up at the grave and he's like so you're gonna go 
Gotta go talk to Felicity now. Told you so, man. Told yeah. you so. It's like, not now, Barry. But see, here's the thing is we do know Felicity comes back because we still don't know who's in the grave, but we also know Felicity's in the limo. But that sort of explains the, um, she seemed very cold in that scene. And I think that sort of explains yeah. it. So that gives you more hints to who might be in the grave because it's somebody that's probably at least, if nothing else, a mutual acquaintance. Like, uh, I'm a little afraid it's like Detective Lance, but then where the hell is Laurel? Um, or, you know, worst well, case. Laurel would have been dealing with that shit on her own anyway. Cause it's they... Diggle. It could be Diggle, which uh, then then we miss out on little Connor Diggle, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. 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 In the best episode of Arrow ever. Yeah. Which actually happened on Legends of Tomorrow. In fact, that's our segue right there. Yeah, let's just go into it. Let's yeah. just deal with it. So we see from the last episode of Legends of Tomorrow that uh, the the team lands in Star City in 2046, and it's a shithole, as is evidenced <laughs> by the fact that it looks like downtown Detroit. That things and are on Smoke fire. Technologies is where the Queen Consolidated slash Palmer see, Tech building Felicity should be. Felicity is the problem. That's... Right. In the worst <laughs> timeline, in the worst timeline, Felicity's got her name on the building. I'm just putting that out there. Um. And we see the green arrow standing on top of a truck, except for it's revealed he's black. It's and black so dude. that's probably not Ollie. Not Ollie at all. And in fact, he Ollie says, tans well, I'm not but... Ollie, Ollie's dead. Yeah. Um. So we get all sad for a second, but we probably have been rapidly following all the everything else. And so I was sad for like a half a second because we know he's not dead. The only thing I was sad about is like, are we going to get some shitty flashback thing? Because, uh, you know, I, I want to see actual Ollie in this episode. Yeah. Um. This This episode was rad for a lot of different reasons. It super was. And, um, like to start out with, you get a really, really good, um, feel for the team's individual characters in this episode. Like it actually, this episode has enough time to kind of focus on each, uh, each, each character or, or pair of characters or whatnot. Um, it's one of the first episodes where we haven't really seen a lot of, um, back and forth aggression toward one another from professor Stein and, and Jax. Yeah. Which was a welcome. Yeah. I believe you're correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, so welcome. Last episode was pretty good, too, actually, for those two. But, uh, um, and you see something, a, a, a different dynamic between Captain Cold and Heatwave that we have not seen before. Yeah. When Heatwave grew himself a pair. Well, it's sort minute. of interesting because, um, the way I saw that was like Heatwave is like sort of like a gigantic child. Like, he just wants power and money, and not even necessarily power. He wants, you know, luxury, money simple things you know like he he's he strikes me as like an overgrown bully a little bit yeah whereas snart's kind of like ah all right you've, you've had your fun you know like it's like pulling your kids out of the mcdonald's playland sort of like it, we're it, done it really like yeah snart's snart's whole take on on heat waves actions this particular episode so let's let's set it up so they encounter a gang basically right off um and snart and and uh heatwave decide they're gonna they're gonna show these gangbangers what's up and they knock the leader out and and heatwave kind of takes over the mantle as the leader of the of the group well which was a fun scene too because you get to see like they're surrounded like it's yeah. like no, you guys just have cold guns they could just shoot you yeah I know. like you guys got cool guns don't get me wrong but they could just shoot you like you're yeah. right there I, I thought that was kind of funny but yeah so they go back to the lair and they're partying oh, up and one more that is not the worst tactical error in this episode, though, which no, we'll come back to not. in a second. Yeah. Um, so they go back to the lair and they're partying up, and then um, Snart's like, "Okay, let's let's kind of go save our friends now." And then Heatwave's like, "No, blah blah blah. I have power and money, and this is all I want." And then, like, the look on Snart's face is like, "All right, you don't make decisions ever. 
I let you make one, and it's the wrong one. So yeah. we're yeah. just going to go ahead and do things my look, way again. Look at where this got us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Plus, we we start to see a side of Leonard Snart that we've not seen before, and he's 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 doing things and portraying that he's doing these things because he wants the credit at the end of the day. But really, um, his dialogue kind of belies that because he's like, "Let's go save our friends, and then we'll talk about this." and And like he used the word "friends" in casual conversation and whatnot. I picked up on it pretty pretty quick. He Snart is one of those like sort of weird not weird but you know classic sort of anti-hero kind of that wants to act like he's not good but he he deep down really kind of is yeah i think i think this group is the first time he's ever kind of found himself in a situation where he is um not only contributing but feeling comfortable letting others help him as well yeah that sounds fair yeah um so that interaction's fun. Um, we get to see, you know, some stuff with uh, the new Green Arrow, um, who we find out pretty early on is uh, named Connor Hawk, which is actually a an alias for uh, John Diggle Jr. Yeah, um, this is this is one of the key moments in this episode. They actually go to the uh, Arrow Cave. Sarah takes him to the Arrow Cave, and you hear somebody yell and. Out comes hey, straight get out off of the, my lawn. Yeah, out comes straight out of the Dark Knight returns oliver queen missing his arm and everything yeah that was such a cool nod yeah it like you, i saw the prosthetic arm did you see that like it was on, like sitting around on the set yeah like it was you know clearly discarded like he didn't really give a shit about it but um it, it looked like something ray palmer designed really because it looked a lot like the the suit it did it did um or something you know that came out of the r&d from the you know like, palmer like tech curtis or something. developed it or something yeah so uh i'm not giving felicity the credit for that one no um so it looked uh so anyway super cool first off um it was it was a nice nod we got to see ollie with the goatee finally um it was everything i dreamed of and more and they did something different with the beard because it was actually a full-on beard like it wasn't just a goatee he had facial hair like up on the sides and whatnot too but it was super short down the fuck super short down the side and then and then the the goatee part that just fucking formed this perfect little point yeah so that was fun um and you get to see that Ollie's kind of given up a little. Not quite, but basically. Mostly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, it's, you know, sort of one of those, we got to talk, talk the hero into coming back. And when he does come back, he comes back with a vengeance, and that's a lot of fun. But I want to I want to highlight one of the stupidest things I've seen in, in um, any of the DC, you know, adaptations on the CW. As uh, uh, Connor Hawk is firing on the bad guys, you know, um, this happens, I think, previously, actually, before Heat Waves takes over. But he's firing on the bad guys from a position of cover. Then he starts getting surrounded. So he uh, shoots an arrow to um, launch the grapnel thing, essentially. And you're like, oh, he's going to get away. Cool. No, he drips right into the fucking middle of them, out in the middle of nowhere. Like, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like, what was your plan there? Like, yeah. He must have forgot that this isn't like the Dark Knight, you know, like the the Arkham games, you know, like where you can't just drop into oh, the middle of the, like because sometimes I'll have that too. Like, OK, I'm bored taking all these guys out from cover. Let's just fuck them up really fast. Um, like he must have had like one of those moments and then he forgot that he can't just, you know, like reload from the last checkpoint. You know, what's the worst in those Arkham games hmm. is when they have the fucking gargoyles like armed with bombs and shit. Oh, that makes me mad. Yeah, me too. Because I use gargoyles a lot. I do, too. Um, but by the, by, <laughs> by, by Arkham city, you can get around that like lots of ways you can do the line launcher and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But, anyway. um, and there's a lot more purchase and advantages. Like in the first game, it's almost a joke because that's like, 
Okay. It's the only thing you can use is yeah. gargoyles. If you, you want to get away, you jump into the floor panel or you hop up to the gargoyles. And so, I, you know, the gargoyles are more fun. You get to shoot the grapnel gun. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. So, and uh, you can you can hang down and grab guys. Yeah. Also, you know, one of the most cool Batman things ever. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, completely off topic. Completely off topic. Topic. So, uh there's that i mean i'd say that's the the bones of the episode we do find out that the bad guy running the crew essentially like we thought the other guy was the bad guy running the crew and he's not and basically deathstroke steps back into the picture except for not quite it's a different mask and then we quickly find out that it's not deathstroke um slade wilson it's his son like brian wilson from the beach boys or something yeah yeah like younger younger wilson child something like some gap tooth bitch with a sword and a mask yeah um so that that was kind of another interesting, you know, sort of fun throwback to the better Arrow days where we have, you know, a villain we can actually hate properly um, and understand a little bit better. Yeah. Um, it, it, going against the Green Arrow, you know, a Deathstroke versus a Green Arrow, which, you know, that's not traditional, I would say. Deathstroke's kind of been a Batman villain. Dude, do you know how bad that episode of Arrow was now that I'm thinking about it? We totally didn't even talk about how they took out Damian Dark's power. Like, he's just a normal dude now. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, we don't have to go back to it. Just keep in mind that that happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, Vixen and uh, and back to Arrow for five seconds just so we make sure you get it. Um, Vixen and Ollie do manage to grab the totem that uh, seems to be powering Damien Dark, and they broke that shit. Um, She went all, you know, Gorilla Garot on it and smashed it. And And then Oliver beat the fuck out of him. Yeah, and Oliver's like, you know what? You hit like a bitch, and then just knocks him out. You know, like it doesn't really knock him out, but it it's pretty much over after that. Um, so I'm interested to see how this is going to progress because now we've got our villain down, and we're barely past the mid season, or you know, we're basically at the mid season at this point. I think mm, we're past it. Yeah, a little bit past, past it. But yeah. So yeah, that's how bad that episode of Arrow was. Forgot the actual point of the episode because <laughs> some of it was just so bad it over it overwhelms and overrides anything that was positive indeed um and then we you know follow up with legends of the tomorrow the next day which is a much better arrow episode yeah it was it was very good they managed to talk ollie coming back basically you know don't forget this is your city you you need to save it that's all sarah yeah that's all sarah like what the fuck man like i left you like 10 minutes ago and now you're this broody whiny little bitch like can we stop pretending she dresses in white though we should. Because that costume isn't white. I mean, I, I kind of thought that was almost like a nod. Like, it's not a pure white, you know, like the bridesmaid's dress, you know, the bride's dress. It's not white at all. Let's call it what it is. It's gray. She's the gray canary. <laughs> it's like a beige. I would say it's like an eggshell, but eggshell canary does not sound as... <laughs> like, already, you're, you're fighting against canary. Like She's not, the not, off-white canary, all right? Yeah, <laughs> not animals known for their viciousness. Um. So, yeah, it's not quite white. That's true. Um, I did like the dynamic between her and um, and uh, 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 Rip in this episode, though, because she was all, he's like, you can't change the future. It's always in flux, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, that's what you're trying to do, you fucking bitch. Yeah, <laughs> I did like that part, too. Yeah. Like, but but isn't that like the whole, like you've seen the show, right? <laughs> the whole and, and plot. He played it off. He played it off like he was trying to like stop Savage in general and not, not, not to save his wife and kid and stuff. But I mean, we know the truth. Yeah, everybody does. Like, it was like a, you know, like he's trying to justify himself a little bit, you know, like it, I, that didn't even seem like, um, like that's not me projecting on the show. I thought that was an obvious, like, intent of the writers there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that scene was cool. And then we get Ollie back into the fray. Ollie shoots more arrows probably in this episode of, uh, Legends of Tomorrow than probably then in the entire season. season of 
the actual Green Arrow show. Yeah. Um, and it's a total badass, and it's super fun. Yeah. Um, another good side plot to this is is uh, both um, both Jax and Ray Palmer have eyes for Kendra now, now that uh, her husband's dead and whatnot. Yeah. And um, Palmer makes the first move and gets shot down, and, and the two of them have kind of an interesting uh, reaction or in, encounter in the hallway outside of where that happened. And is it just me, or I'm watching this whole thing, and the only thing I expected Jax to say was, shut your mouth before I put a cock in it. <laughs> I was just kind of thinking, how is this supposed to work? You're like, let's not pretend like Jax is like 12 and Ray Palmer has got to be like 37 by now. Yeah. Like there, there's a, clearly a bit of an, you know, a, and then the second part is you're both being douchebags. Her husband died like a week ago. And not that she actually like loved him and shit because she still hadn't like kind of gotten to that point. Yeah. Um, But I, I'm, here's what I'm thinking, man. Like she had a good thing going with Cisco before any of this ever happened. And they're yeah, being, she, they're she kind of being bitches off. for, uh. Yeah, cockblock and Cisco. Like yeah. we had to cockblock Cisco just so that we could get Carter for like half an episode. Yeah, and, and now uh, you know whatever. Poor Cisco. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh well. They had a return to the it's, current it seems timeline like, just to bang the shit out of Cisco. It, it so seems she can do like that it seems go. like a guy named Vibe though would be popular with the, with the ladies that's at some point. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's Legends of Tomorrow. We're gonna take a beer break and then we'll be right back. Fucking name, my throat's dry. Yeah. All right, we're back. Um, just just uh, FYI, the, the beer we're drinking tonight is Diesel Punk Double IPA. Um, this actually is beer that comes from about 3,000 miles further away than the beer we usually drink. Yeah. Um, it's brewed in New York uh, yeah. by World Brewery, and it's very delicious. It's, yeah. Uh, if Tasty. you like, uh, I don't know, if you, if you guys are beer drinkers, uh, which I know that some of you that listen to are, yeah. Uh, this is not your typical IPA in that uh, what we're used to drinking here um, in in the state of Oregon is a uh, West Coast style IPA, which is extremely hoppy. Uh, it's got a really robust hoppy um, front and then a little bit of uh, a little bit of a bitter after. The Diesel Punk IPA is is more of the East Coast style IPA, which is it, it's got a lot of hops to it, but it's not a bitter hop. It's really really rich, really smooth, and does doesn't actually have any bitter on the leave at all exactly like i kind of feel like this is an accessible ipa like if you're not usually a fan of ipas um you might try this because it's not exactly like if if you're used to having you know something like bridgeport or you know you know, you know another local flavor of ipa um uh this is a qu- quite a bit milder yeah um, although this is a double ipa um and it does clock in at 8.5 so uh it doesn't taste like it though so if you're not no. careful you will get white girl drunk pretty quick yeah like really quick all right, so shall we move on to some uh, um, Batman versus Superman news? Um, let's actually talk The Walking Dead. Uh, I don't want to move like I know we kind of do a lot of DC stuff and then we kind of move into other stuff, but let's let's try and keep the TV All right. up front sure. and then sure. Um, so that's so crazy. It just might work. I know, right? Um, so The Walking Dead's been back for a couple weeks now. Um, Rick's had some shit to deal with. Yep. Uh, he had a lot of shit to deal with, actually, because the chick that he wanted to bang, um, her fucking stupid son went off and got them killed. All of them. <laughs> Which, uh, y- y- this is kind of like a PSA against helicopter parenting, didn't you think? Yeah. Like, maybe if you wouldn't have stopped treating him like a little bitch, like, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't, you know, like, you feel bad for everybody here because you you do kind of want to have that, you know, like, y- y- we're both parents. Like, you don't want to have to have your kid go through the zombie apocalypse. 
but you kind of have to accept that that's the way the world works. You know, like yeah. you kind of have to prepare them for the world the way it is, not the way that you want it to be. Otherwise, they turn out to be little dipshits who get your whole fucking family eaten. Which is kind of the moral of this uh, this episode. Not this episode particularly, but the um, the mid-season premiere. Yeah, that was kind definitely. of the, the, the entire moral of it. Um, I don't feel bad for the older brother for a couple of reasons. One, he was a fucking cunt. Oh, seriously. From he, the beginning, anyway. Like, like his dad. I mean, he, he definitely was more on his dad's side. It's like, Je- Jesse was way too gentle. And, and, you know, when it comes down to it, probably a little bit of a pushover Stockholm Syndrome, like Carol pre-Apocalypse. Uh, yeah. Um, Actually, yeah, that that's a really perfect... Yeah. Um, which is kind of... Oh, that makes that even juicier because the the thing that happens right before they all get killed is the little boy basically freaks out when he has a flashback voiceover of Carol basically saying, you know, like they're, they're monsters. Gonna, yeah, they're monsters and they're going to eat you, which I was like, Carol killed that whole family tangentially, yeah. you know. Doesn't it strike you as weird that knowing that there's that dynamic that that this chick is essentially what Carol was uh, up until like very early on in season one? That she didn't actually step in and have any kind of conversation with uh, with Jesse at all. She confronted the husband before he died, but she didn't really talk to Jesse at all and be like, "Hey, um, pull your head out of your ass and like be a man about it." A or, little bit, but have you ever met somebody who's was really fat before and then lost a ton of weight and then thinks fat people are like basically human pieces of shit? Yeah, yeah, I kind of got that sense of it. Like Carol's like, um, she looks at Jesse now as being even weaker. Because she couldn't just break herself out of it, like, um, you know, like she couldn't just get past it the way that Carol did, even though that you know Carol did it way later than Jesse did. Yeah, that's like me looking down on sober people, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, though, so that this, we're kind of talking about stuff that happened in the mid-season premiere, and not the most recent episode, but it kind of all leads into. Did um, we talk about the mid-season? We premiere? didn't. We haven't talked about the show at yeah. all since it came back. We didn't really talk about it much before it went away. Either. I think because one of us was behind. We both watch the show with our spouses. Yeah. Um, so uh, the schedules don't always work out that well, and this is one of those that like uh, you, you, our balls kind of get chopped off if we watch it without them. So uh, yeah, we're, my, we're I'm fond of my balls. My um, wife works on a four day rotation, which means she doesn't have the same days off consistently um, ever. So like, there's good possibility that. If there's a show on a certain night, then I'm not going to get to watch it on that particular night because I got to wait. Um, Word. She really doesn't even like it when I watch Legends of Tomorrow without her, but I just keep it on the DVR and she's happy and yeah. she gets to watch it later on. So, um, the mid-season premiere I really enjoyed. Um, there, there's yeah. a lot of good stuff in that, uh, especially the big spoilers. If you're not a, a comic reader or a show watcher, yeah, because this is this is relevant to both. So, yeah, they did it. Like, uh, they, they shot Carl's eye out. They put his, they'll put his eye out. Yeah. Um, they, like they, he shouldn't have used that Red Rider BB gun like he did. No. Uh, cause it totally fucked him up. Yeah. Uh, but that's actually one of the consequences. One of the parts of blowback. Um, I think it's the, 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 the cunty little emo teenage kid of Jesse's trying to shoot Rick and Carl essentially gets in the way. I, I think a Walker grabbed him uh, and, it, and he shot off to the side and it ended up shooting Carl's eye out. Oh yeah, you're right. I think that's more of the comics. I think of the comics it's uh more like the the kids aiming essentially. Yeah. This this is a big this is a big homage to the comic book uh in terms of of that happening because um 
and this is again spoilers if you're not caught up or even reading the comic books or whatever but um at this point in the comic books rick only has one arm in fact he's only had one arm since the prison because that when they first met the governor that's that was the consequence of meeting the governor was you got your arm chopped off basically um which is quite a bit different how they did the governor in the TV show because in the in the TV show you don't get the sense that the governor's a bad dude right away, but in the comics he's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, he, like, I mean they he meet tortures him and, he... and rapes Michonne like on like repeatedly for a while. Yeah, not not hinting at it like they they did with um, Maggie. It just straight out does he chops off Rick's hand the first time they meet you know so he's a bad fucking dude in the comics um, yeah he doesn't he kind of gets a little bit of the short shrift as far as you know like evil natures are concerned in in the show for better or worse but um, it, it did serve as a good way to kill off show Andrea who also is a former a, a pretty terrible caricature of her character yeah um, I didn't like Andrea in the show nearly as much as I liked Andrea in the I, comic I didn't, books. Uh, I didn't who, really coincidentally, like the comic books after, is still alive. After season two, uh, um, Andrea just became a nuisance, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, uh, it was kind of a big deal that we decided not to chop off Rick's arm in the TV show, um, at least from a comic reader standpoint, um, because that is one of the big moments in The Walking Dead. Right. It gives you a sense that, you know, our characters are not invulnerable, even though we see them eaten, you know. There's lots of characters, you know. A lot yeah. of other characters in the show get killed and eaten, just like the... the uh, comic counterparts but yeah as fans of the comic book it kind of made us wonder if carl in fact was gonna lose an eye yeah um and it turns out fucking a right he is yeah um yeah and for the record you know kirkman did have a pretty good reason uh for for taking the arm in the comic books and i think the showrunners had a pretty good reason which even kirkman agreed with and said basically like it doesn't make any sense in the tv show because how is it how are they even going to show him loading a gun kirkman even went on farther than that and said that if he had the chance to do it over again in the comic books he he'd wouldn't. take it back yeah, yeah. so it, it defies credulity a little bit too much um from a realistic standpoint which the walking dead certainly slants towards you know as far as a show with magic zombies goes yep um so anyway yeah they they, they took carl's eye it was pretty brutal um yeah which was, you know, kind of totally awesome from a comic standpoint because it also gives you a, a um, greater sense of growth from Carl. There's a lot of things that happen as a result of that in the comic books and a lot of storylines that involve that whole plot point. Um, so pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then in um, in this most current episode, we, we actually deal with a couple different uh, relationship dynamics. Um, first of all, there's uh, Enid and the Glenn and Maggie dynamic. Um, if you're familiar with the comic books at all, you know that... Uh, Glenn and Maggie uh, took in Sophia, which uh, was Carol's daughter, because at this point, Carol's dead. Yeah. Um, and spoilers, so is Glenn. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a big one, but I mean, obviously, I think we've talked about it before, and if you're not kind of up to date with us right now or, or, or realize that we spoil things, then that's kind of your bad. Well, but, um, well, we may have to... In the show, we're not quite to the point where Glenn's dead. No, um, but... But that hap- no, it is yeah. Glenn and Glenn and Maggie before Glenn's death do take in Sophia. Yeah, they yeah. do. Um, but in the TV show, obviously uh, Sophia's dead because Sophia was actually a character in the show. And and season two, I believe she got lost and and then she showed up as a walker. Yeah, they searched for her for like an a, a absurdly long time and yeah, and then course, they found her in the she barn. She didn't make it. She was in the barn with Herschel's pet walkers. Yeah. Um. So I think Enid in this case is kind of filling that role. There's a lot of that actually in this episode. That's one, that's one, you know, where they're kind of sort of trying to fit like this season really to me 
and even towards uh, season four a little bit, it feels to me like they're trying to get back to the comic books a little bit more than they the, like they'd veer to, you know, like they're still pretty closely related, but you can kind of see the point where they veer off the road a little bit and kind of, right. you know, take a back alley or something. Yeah. And this, I mean, but it, we, we're still so fundamentally different right now too, though. Um, yeah. There's, and, and for good reasons, not uh, even, but so we have that relationship dynamic and then we also have the Carl Enid relationship which um not a thing you know carl sophia is not an analogous um uh, relationship in the no comics. they're friends i mean yeah. or, or i mean they they kind of have taken solace in the fact that um they're both comfortable going outside the walls and, and hanging out and doing whatever yeah i kind of see them being like brother sister um in this particular instance they were sitting there carl was reading a comic book with his one eye yep um as and, you do do you know what comic book that was by the way I'm going to know it as soon as you say it because I remember noting it and now I've completely blanked on it. Uh, this, the comic book in particular that he was reading was called Invincible, which is another Robert Kirkman title that he writes for Image. <laughs> nice. So, nice little Easter egg there. Um, that kind of goes badly. Um, and then we see a different relationship uh, dynamic uh, because they are um, kind of heading back toward the walls because they get into a little bit of an argument about... Enid, Enid I think, is coming to the point where because of the relationship that she's starting to develop with uh, Glenn and Maggie, she doesn't necessarily need to leave the walls and go find herself outside anymore. Yeah. She can stop being all angsty about her parents. Yeah. She's, she's becoming less emo. Yeah. Uh, Which is good. And uh, so we've got that going and then they find a Walker. Um, They don't actually show the Walker's face though. So it's kind of a mystery as to what's going on up until um, we see the, uh, the Spencer Michonne. Yeah. Uh, series, which is uh, Michonne following Spencer into the woods. Uh, she Spencer's assumes kind of wandering, and she assumes Spencer's being emo and weird about things. Uh, which it, I mean, it, and it looks that way. Yep. Uh, and then you find out that the Walker that was um, a- attempting to assault Carl and Enid is actually uh, the mom. Yeah, Spencer's Deanna. mom, Deanna. Um, you don't find that out directly, but you do find out that Carl actually leads Deanna to Spencer. Um, specifically so that Spencer can dispose of her himself and whatnot. Yep. Uh, I get the feeling that they didn't, um, like Carl knew that that was happening, but I don't think Spencer did. No, I don't think Spencer kind of picked up on that, um, yet. I think, uh, and then, um, Michonne kind of picks up on it, but then that leads kind of the, to the next big, um, personal dynamic, uh, scene again, which is between Carl and, and Michonne. We, and, and if you're fans of the show, you've already seen this. Carl and Michonne have one of the coolest dynamics yeah, on the bros. show. They're... Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and so she kind of confronts him and she's like, hey, that was kind of stupid. Why would you do that? Blah, blah, blah. This, that, and the other thing. And then Carl gets really emotional, which he doesn't usually. But in this case, he got super emotional and he was like, because I would do it for you. Right. Um, and that's, that's kind of a big test or a big telling of the fact that Carl does not see the Alexandrians as any different from the rest of his group at this point. Yeah, more or less. Um, and it also gives you kind of another analogous relationship to uh, something we see in the comics. Obviously, show Andrea is dead. But right. in the comics, Andrea is very much, you know, like a pseudo-mom. Carl's stepmom, yeah. Yeah, to Carl. Uh, also in the comics, I'm pretty sure by this point, Andrea and um, um, Rick are banging on the regs. So, uh 
if not then very soon yeah no they are i think yeah so um we didn't really have that d- dynamic or relationship um there's also we should be clear there's a little bit of a time skip in the beginning of this episode like they, yeah, they lose ahead. two months yeah they, they they skip two months so which in the comic books it deals with the winter um we don't see that though yeah it deals the with the winter and a little bit of carl's recovery and stuff like that and i guess yeah. they figured like we don't need to do that on the show and they're probably right yeah this one i yeah i agree with yeah so um you can see that they're sort of starting to set up this this family essentially like with uh michonne taking the andrea role in the comics um carl being there enid sort of taking over for sophia um although again massive spoilers for comic readers if you're not caught up at this point i'm wondering if they're gonna have enid play double duty as alpha a little bit no not alpha Uh, lydia lydia no i don't i don't i don't I don't think so. I, I think I we're think too we're far out from there to even, yeah, to, to get there. Um, and and before we get to the actual end of the show, um, there's a whole different story, uh, sub story that's going Thanks. on here. I was just remembering that um, between Rick and and everybody's favorite biker, Daryl. Yeah, um, this is actually probably one of the. What are going to say, Aaron? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> this is probably one of the favorite. Uh, one of my favorite. Uh, buddy cop moments of this particular uh, oh. series by I, far. I actually, I love that whole interaction, the whole, di- again, another amazing, you know, sort of relationship dynamic. Like they're out there um, <clears throat> essentially scavenging and looking for stuff, but you can tell just how much each one of them has each other's backs. Right. You know, like one of them finds a can of orange soda and they share it type sort of thing. Like I, I, that relationship's just the best. The whole orange soda thing is hilarious too, because, um, and I forget her name right now. Maybe you can help me out with this. The doc. Nope. Got nothing. Okay. Um, so the doc and, and, um, Tara are, are an item. Yep. Um, and by the way, this is a, a fun fact. If you didn't know this, the actress who plays Tara is actually uh, Danny Masterson's sister in real life. I found this out. So in... she's she's Stephen Hyde's sister. I found this out this episode. Also notable, the Masterson family is is extends further than that. If you watch Malcolm in the Middle, uh, right. Not just Hyde, but um, you know the old one. I forget the I forget the brother's name in this. God, we're the worst at names this episode. I know. It's a good thing there's no dark guns laying around. Drinking like shooting all each day, other. Though, so. Yeah. <laughs> I have not. I'm just retarded. That's sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, the whole Masterson family, essentially. Um, so the girl Masterson as well. Yeah. And this is this is the point in the show where I would usually be looking this shit up on IMDb on my laptop. But since I don't have a fucking table, I'd, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, man. Francis. Yeah, Francis. Yeah, plays Francis. Francis in Malcolm in the Middle. But what's his name? Da- so, what's what, what did you say the first one? Danny. Danny is uh, is Hyde. From that '70s show, if anybody's wondering why I keep saying calling him Stephen Hyde, I was gonna say Chris, but I don't think that's right. No, I think that is right. I think, Chris, yeah, Chris Masterson. I think you're totally right. Yeah, Danny. Yeah, that might work. Yeah, sure. Dan, we'll Whatever. go with it. We'll go with it. Yeah, let's do it. He's not listening to the show <laughs> until until we get the hate mail. Yeah, like our one. My name's of- fucking Alfonso, you bitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, we were so far off. Oh, um, no. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, 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 that's really funny that you mentioned that. Cause I also stumbled across that fact this episode. I see I'm retarded and, uh, I, I knew that like from the first that, because anytime yeah. I see somebody new coming to the show, I'm like, you, I grab my phone and Google them. Yeah. I gotta now, check it out. I picked this up because I saw the Masterson name in uh-huh. the, the thing. And I was like, is that, 
wait a second. And I, you know, checked it out from that. And of course it is. So anyway, a bit of an aside. So yeah, the whole, uh, the whole soda thing, like the, the town doc and, and Tara, they're banging, uh, or scissoring, whatever, whatever they chicks like that do. Um, I only say things like that because I am not a gay woman, so I don't know <laughs> how it works. Oh man. So much hate mail. <laughs> I um, know. We're going to get a cease and desist order from the Latino maiden yeah. lesbian coalition. <laughs> That's a thing. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so uh, she, uh, they basically Tara, Tara likes soda. Yeah. So the, the town doc uh, gives Daryl a side mission. Um, and she's just like, Hey, if you run across any, grab it. If not, no big deal. Don't go looking for it. it but it I'm absolutely. Really... Now that you it was cute. It, that way, it was cute. It, it absolutely does. It, though does feel like a side mission. Like, yeah, if you've ever, like it's an optional. Like you don't have to do it to, like, to, to finish the game. Yeah, check your quest log. It's an optional objective. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, they go looking for the soda and, and of course the reason he doesn't bring it back isn't because he's a dick and he just opens the can and drinks it it's because the can's broken so they have it's either you know he actually it. has several cans and they they all end up gone for whatever reason yeah um oh that reason is because we get introduced to a new character this yes. this episode um so the reason is essentially they found this truck they found jesus yeah and they also found jesus <laughs> Which I got to say was as well done in the show as it was in the comics, because in the comics, I was like, what the fuck? And no, it turns out Jesus. So the only the only thing um, this this part is hilarious because so they find the truck and they pull over because they're looting the vending machine with the soda in it. I think I recall is how the events go. Yeah. And um, that's exactly how it goes, because he says, like, pull over and and Rick's kind of like, what? And yeah, no, they got to go grab this, the vending machine. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, some dude like, like blows into into Rick and knocks him over and shit and falls. And Daryl pulls a gun on him. and He's like, "Oh, it's just me." Blah blah blah. And he plays it off like he's all this innocent dude. And um, yeah, there's walkers behind me. They're about ten minutes back. You, right. you better get out of the way. Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Like he's he's playing it off like he's helpful. Rick Rick actually kind of starts to go through the questions like he's going to invite him to join the group and whatnot. And Daryl's like, "Quit that shit." Like, yeah. <laughs> it's about that time we hear uh, gunshots, gunshots coming from, you know, behind the you know, whatever convenience store that they're at. Yeah. And so the quick stop. Yeah. I mean, they, they for safety's sake, let's let's call it the quick stop. Yeah. They, they decide they better go check it out. So they sort of leave uh, Jesus and they, you know, do their tactical uh, Walker scout thing and start moving behind the thing. And then they discover that it's firecrackers on a barrel and um, that the keys to the van are gone. Yeah. Yeah, Daryl's like, hey, do you still have your keys? No, you don't. No, you don't have your keys. Because it turns out Jesus is kind of a dick, and when he bumps into you, it means he also lifted your shit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, classic, classic, classic maneuver, Rick. You should have been on top of that. Yeah. Um, so he takes off in the van, and then uh, uh, Rick and... Uh, Daryl. Daryl. I was going to say Carl. Rick and Rick and Daryl decide to go all... Uh, um, Legolas and Aragorn and run after him for two days right. on foot. <laughs> I know. Um, which they actually catch up with him. Yeah. Because it turns out the van broke down and whatnot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is this is hilarious because they kind of beat the shit out of Jesus a little bit and tie him up. 
Um, it should be noted that by this point, we've learned that Jesus is a nickname. Uh, he has a real name, who, what I, which I cannot remember because both which, in the show and in the comics, they say, they say, oh, but my real name's like, you know, Frank Delegato or something like that. And then after that... We don't that, find that out in the comic books for a long time, though. Like, all we know him as is Jesus yeah. for a, a super long time in the comics. But even still, once you find out his name, I'm pretty sure he goes right back to being Jesus. And yeah, that's he's like just the last Jesus. it's ever mentioned. So anyway, we, we're not actually talking, like, Christ is not risen. You know, he's he's the one zombie that stayed down. <laughs> Weird. Anyway. <laughs> um, that, that's a third letter. We yeah. We should be getting there. So, um, this is hilarious because we we see them take off in the van and they're they're hauling ass again. And then all of a sudden, um, something hits the top of the van. And Daryl, for whatever reason, he's clairvoyant. He's like, that dude is up there. And I don't know how anybody knew that. that I don't know. What is it? Is, Jesus isn't like a T-1000. I know. Like, well, how did they write that shit? Because they, they like, tied him up and they drove the fuck away. Like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But that, that 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 is probably some of the worst writing this entire season. Just from a, you know, plot suspension of disbelief standpoint. Like, okay, I can get zombies that never really, you know, right. whatever. That, you know, defy the laws of entropy and so on. But fucking jesus running up and jumping on your van yeah that's a little weird that's um, a good show title yeah so so we we do this and all of a sudden they rick hits the brakes he's he's now plowed into a field next to a barn and some other vehicles and whatnot hits the brakes jesus goes fucking tumbling down and uh and then him and daryl get into it daryl's chasing around on foot rick fucking parks the van somewhere and he's they should have just played yakety sax at that point yeah it was it wasn't a bad scene don't get me wrong but it was it's funny to watch in retrospect we should mention that this van totally full of food and supplies and toothpaste toothpaste is a big deal for this episode because uh michonne asks rick to find some toothpaste right spearmint if you got it basically yeah Yeah. um so that's another solid you know like Actually, this is another thing that I didn't catch right away, but th- both of the boys come up empty-handed because what eventually happens is a fallout from Rick and or, uh, Jesus and uh, sorry Jesus and Daryl fighting is uh, they get distracted. Walkers come upon them. The only way to save themselves basically is to give up the van as it rolls down into a fucking lake. It wasn't even that they had to give it up. Rick just had to get out of the van to help, and yeah. then all of a sudden, oh, I didn't put the fucker in park or something because it yeah. just. There it goes. Yeah. Sinking into the fucking lake. So anyway, all of our heroes get away, although without the toothpaste or their can of orange soda. So this this sets the stage for the 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 final moments of the show. Um super, super fucking good. They take Jesus back, by the way. They take Jesus with them. So not only do they find Jesus, but they also carried him. Oh, a, a good point here is because um Jesus probably could have left Daryl to die or kill Daryl. I oh think. yes, Daryl. Daryl was gonna get attacked by a walker from behind. Oh, Jesus that's what it was. The gun right at his face, and then says, "Duck." Yeah, they're shoot. They're they're fighting in the van, and you can see a walker coming in behind Daryl. And uh, you, Jesus has the upper hand. He's got the gun. He could just let him get eaten for all the fucking matters. Um, but uh, decides to kill the zombie instead. So. Right. So, um, Q coming back to the village, Alexandria. We don't know how they got back or how far away they were and whatnot. I mean, they they took a vehicle, but I mean like now they've got Gimli, so they were a little bit faster or a little bit slower, but made yeah. it fine. I fall. Um, so Rick and uh, and Michonne kind of end up on the couch discussing their day, and the, neither one of them really wants to talk about it. They're just like, eh, whatever. Rick does give her a something. He actually gives her two things, and we'll get to both of those. But 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Rick gives her some breath mints because he he came up empty handed with the uh, with the 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 toothpaste. So he gave her some some lifesavers breath mints or something like that. And then what did he give her, Eddie? The D. The D. He yeah. gave her a good deep dicking. <laughs> I, I'm assuming. It was like, this is the first time anybody's had fresh breath in like a year and a half. We should do it, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, Rashon finally happened. Yeah. Uh, some people have been I wanting totally to see stole that one. from Chris Hardwick, by the way. No, a lot I'm, of people are shipping Rashon. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they, and I don't know, if they, I wouldn't say they've been hinting at it, but it's been like a, they've been very close for a while now. They, I think they've kind of hinted at it a couple of times. Yeah. So, it feels pretty good. Like it feels pretty natural in the in the comics. Uh, another fun fact: the next scene that we come up to. <laughs> so we've brought Jesus back. We've tracked. We've trapped him in her wide open drywall room. Right. And he's somehow gotten free again because he's a fucking T one thousand. So he can't hold a T one thousand in a drywall room. Um. And he's standing in the bed over, Carl or uh, over, uh, naked Michonne and Rick. Rick, who are presumably sleeping. This is hilarious, by the way, because they're in bed together. Rick, w- upon realizing that Jesus is in the room, uh-huh. when he gets up, makes an attempt to kind of <clears throat> cover up. Michonne, not at all. Grabs her sword and she's just standing there in all of her Michonne glory. Yeah. Um, so what's funny about this scene is I read an article, and if I remember to, which I probably won't, I'll link it in the show notes. But I read an article saying essentially that uh, the the creators or producers or some fucking people in charge didn't want to do that, and uh, uh, the actress that plays Michonne, whose name I can't remember right now, sorry. Yeah, it's not an easy one to remember, actually. I no, um, at least not for us, you know, white people. Um, it, it, that There's sounds four. that sounds really <laughs> racist, but it is it is a. Um, it's an ethnic name. Yeah. Or seemingly so. It, it Seemingly, at least. So anyway, uh, I don't remember her name. I actually feel kind of bad about that because I should at this point. She's but, she's ridiculous good at playing Michonne. And so oh, like, yeah, yeah. Not, not, to, not to interrupt Eddie's train of thought or anything like that. We're really not being racially insensitive or anything like that, especially not when it comes to this chick. Because it just sounds like it a lot this episode. <laughs> she's, <laughs> uh, she's fucking fantastic as Michonne. And honestly, she's pretty hot. She is like I can't, I'm kind of glad that uh, good segue. She fought for this scene. So what the, they originally wanted her to do was jump up and grab the towel, uh, um, and you know focus more on covering herself. And she was like, Michelle wouldn't do that. Uh, and and actually, Rick doesn't really cover himself all that much because you, I do, I'm pretty sure you see Rick's ass in this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but Jesus doesn't see Rick's ass. <laughs> no, J- Jesus is. He's standing down because he sees who's got the bigger gun. Um, <laughs> and it's so, Michonne. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, so anyway, the th- the thing about this was is that uh, um, uh, the actress who plays Michonne and, of course, uh, Rick. Actually, hey, see, that's not racist. I can't remember what his fucking name is right now either. There um, you go. Uh, Andrew Lincoln. Oh, there you go. Um, so it, her, her and Andrew Lincoln actually fought because that's not how the characters were reacted at this point. It, they would have reacted exactly as what we saw in the show, right. which is Michonne jumps up, grabs the sword, fucks the nakedness, and Rick does essentially the same. Like actually, Rick fucked the nakedness before. Yeah, the scene. it's a good. That's a good turn of phrase. Um, <laughs> so pretty awesome scene, and and you know we got more questions about now what exactly Jesus is there for. So. Yeah, and if you read the comic books, you probably have a pretty good idea. Yeah. Um, you probably have a good idea where he was taking the truckload of supplies to when he stole it from Rick and Daryl and whatnot. You probably do. Um, 
but we'll we'll leave it at that for now because that was the end of the the show and we actually talked more about this show than we talked about any of the other shows we talk about yeah well we're kind of behind we haven't talked about it in a couple of episodes it's a really good show it honestly is. I mean, it's had its it's had its weak spots, but it, to me, this has really hit its stride. Like there, there's still a couple of comically stupid portions, like T1000 jumping on the van. Um, but <laughs> but overall, the show is good enough that I forgive those things because they do so many things. Like just you probably heard me say it like three different times as we went through this episode. Like oh, I didn't see that parallel before. Right now, when I went to rethink about it, um, and so you know that's the kind of thing that The Walking Dead's doing really well that lets you forgive its stupidities. Well, uh, that era is not necessarily. And one of the things that we get to deal with when we talk about The Walking Dead is we get to talk about a show that's actually a cable show. And when it comes to rules about what you can do on cable and whatnot, like there really isn't like pay TV can do a lot more than what it actually does. The The problem is, is when you get to advertisers and investors and stuff like that, they don't yeah. necessarily want to invest in stuff that may, maybe has um, drops the F bomb or has full nudity and whatnot. Like, so we're kind of living in an era where we're starting to kind of, you know, stick our feet in the water with what we can do with cable TV. It kind of started with the shield on FX or. Ooh, that was a big shift. I do remember that being a big deal because that was a big shift in what cable was like. It sort of became a safe haven for, um, grittier, uh, you know, more, um, I don't know, mature right. shows essentially. It, it, it took what NYPD blue did on network TV and and kind of multiplied it to the nth degree on cable. Yeah, it was kind of like you know NYPD Blues t- PG thirteen and and the Shield was R essentially. Right. Not quite because it's still it's still on TV, but right. Um, and then we we furthered that with um, uh, Sons of Anarchy, which was also uh, so oh, some people that don't so know much, this so much stuff. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, Breaking Bad, Mad Men. Right. I mean, all these comic book shows. The or comic or. Uh, Cable shows, right. Walking Dead even, you know, The Walking Dead probably wouldn't have happened without this sort of thing. Right. So we, we started with The Shield. Uh, Kurt Sider, by the way, was a writer on The Shield. I don't know if anybody realizes that. Um, and then he developed and created the series Sons of Anarchy, a um, couple seasons of Sons of Anarchy. Then AMC started with uh, Breaking Bad, I think, and then The Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't watched Mad Men, but I... I Actually, I think Mad Men may predate... May, may have come first, but they they, they all came around kind of the same time. Yeah. So, um, so again, to my point, like just cable TV can do more than what we've seen. Uh, it, it's just a matter of making sure that people understand that there's still money to be made there, and then we'll get yeah, which we'll get more. Haven't we seen this already like a million times? Especially Deadpool. Deadpool's got to be the most slap you in the face with the rated R dick I've ever seen. Like yeah. you can make good adult content and and people will see it like it's not like a death sentence you know cable tv i think we're sort of in a renaissance for tv i think that tv is really where mean pornography yeah it just means you shouldn't take your kid to it which is not you know there's a lot of things you shouldn't take your kids to and we've sort of become you know this is probably an american leaning ideal so if you're listening overseas you're probably like that's fucking dumb because pretty much everybody else is this figured out except for us um but we're so puritanical about what we're you know willing to show and we're not really willing to accept anything on tv that you can't show your kids anymore or we haven't been for a really long time yeah which and this kind of leads us into one of our next topics too which is uh dc's uh Batman versus Superman. Yeah, okay. So we'll go to that one first. Um, so we're talking about Deadpool and its R rating and successful R rating. Yeah. Um, I'm not... Sh- I really don't think that this is a direct result of um, 
Deadpool, but I think it certainly is a push in this direction, and that is that uh, the Man of Steel, Man, Man, er, sorry, goddamn, Superman versus Batman, Man of Steel movie director's cut will be rated R. Um, yeah, again, maybe not directly related to to Deadpool and its success, but I think this idea was probably already kind of bouncing around. Yeah, I mean, and then it, as soon as Deadpool was was commercially successful, they're like, "Yep, we're fucking doing it." Yeah, it can't be that related to it because you know they—I mean—they had to shoot these scenes before um, you know Deadpool ever happened. Essentially, as far as the you know the box office and ratings and stuff were concerned, um, so th- this idea has to have been in the back of their mind. This is a little bit kind of how it was with Watchmen. This is this is kind of funny because, um, and I'll I'll try and find the article if I can, so we can post it. But there was actually um, an article I read that talked about. Not only the success of Deadpool, but then we talked about this last week, how um, the next Wolverine movie there, Fox is targeting an R rating for this as well. Then the news broke about the the R rated director's cut of Batman versus Superman. The director, I can't remember which Marvel movie this was. um, The director of, I I think maybe Guardians 2 was talking about targeting an R rating, but it was a joke. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this, this because say. honestly, Marvel's owned by Disney, and so this is never going to happen. But so they were they were talking about how um, it, not an R rating, but they um, oh the Ant Man sequel. It was the director of the Ant Man sequel. He's like, well, we're going to go for an NC seventeen on the Ant Man sequel. See, um, God, I can't remember what that guy's name is, but they've been kind of going back at yeah. it. Yeah, we and talked so, about this on a couple of so episodes. Then, him and Sebastian Stan. Yeah, the director of uh, of the Inhumans movie that doesn't come out until like 2018. It was like, yeah, that's all well and good, but we're going to make the Inhumans a snuff film. <laughs> so <laughs> Amazing. So, um, it, it also kind of, you know, like I get that they're, they're being competitive and stuff like that, but please don't lose sight of the fact that it's not simply the R rating. Like I understand that there no, is a l- little bit of a knee jerk reaction from the Hollywood, like, you know, guys that are making this movie, just understand that y- there is a market for content that you don't want your kids to see, but you still want to see yourselves. You right. Know? And this is obviously a, um, a, a kind of a parody on itself because Disney is the, the, I mean, Disney owns Marvel. We're not going to ever see a Marvel movie that's above a PG 13. I don't think. Not released under the Disney moniker in any way, shape, or form. Like right. Disney owns some subsidiaries, like uh, Miramax. Is Miramax Disney? They are now, yeah. Yeah, one of them is like that because uh, uh, they distributed one of Tarantino's movies, and that pissed him off. And um, some of the things that they wanted to do, and so Tarantino's basically vowed that he's not going to work with Disney again because you know that was a big Actually, option. The, the reason that Tarantino is against Disney is because there's a particular theater in L.A. that was marketed or built specifically to show 70 millimeter. Um, and he was, he had every intention of showing the hateful eight in that theater and Disney, uh, strong armed the theater, um, into showing nothing but star Wars, basically saying that they would pull it from their entire chain. It's an arc light theater chain. Gotcha. Um, and so mirror, um, Tarantino is, is pissed and doesn't want to have anything to do with Disney. I think this predates, that's probably another nail in the, he's, he's always kind of had an out for, for Disney, but not to the point where he's like, I won't work for them. Now he's like, no, fuck them. Yeah. So, um, and honestly, I kind of, I, I kind of see his beef. Um, I want to see the hateful eight. I just haven't yet. And I probably won't get to until it's out on home video. Same. And I mean, honestly, it's not like, uh, that was like a big, you know, like it's not like Tarantino and Disney were just waiting to team up, well, you know, like, no. And that's kind of the no, thing. Nobody's like, gosh, I wish, I wish Tarantino 
would do the next Finding Nemo movie. I respect Tarantino as a filmmaker, but in terms of this particular beef, like, okay, yeah, it's a dick move on the on the part of Disney, but what the fuck are you doing releasing a movie anywhere around the same time as Star Wars if you want your movie to be seen at all? You know what I mean? Uh, it's kind of a hard problem. I think Tarantino, Tarantino probably realizes that he's a bu- big enough of a name that he's going to draw some fans just based on his name, you know, essentially. Um, you know, like, there's a lot of built-in fans for Star Wars. Like, if you text Star Wars on anything, all of a sudden it'll sell. Tarantino's kind of like that with a certain subset. Is he anymore, though? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No question. Because have you seen anything about The Hateful Eight since it opened? I haven't. Well, no, but see, th- <laughs> this actually credits your point a little bit more. I think it, anything up against Star Wars is a bad idea. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. I'm that's, like, yeah, because Star Wars covers such a swath of the population. Like, fucking everybody is going to go see that movie. And if your movie is opening the same day and they have to pick, they're probably still going to see Star Wars. I mean, honest, obviously, the mo- every other movie didn't shut down for the week. So, and some people managed to make some money. But just generally speaking, it's kind of hard to go up against Star Wars on opening day for the first time in 10 years. And quite honestly, I can't name a Tarantino movie that I haven't liked. I mean, oh, I'm, no, I'm a I, fan. I, I, I actually, I'd go so far. Um, there's some movies that I think that I didn't really care a whole lot about. Um, but, like, I really like Django. I really like Inglorious Bastards. Um, obviously, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction's a classic. Um, yeah. I even like Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown was actually um, the first Tarantino movie that I saw in the theater. Yeah. And uh, have you ever watched The Four Rooms? Mm-mm. Watch The Four Rooms. The Four Rooms is actually uh, four different directors, and I don't remember them all. Um, but each each story is is directed by somebody different. Um, I think Robert Rodriguez is one of them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but the Tarantino bit in that particular one is is fucking phenomenal. Um, and it it's Tim Roth is is the lead in it, so you can't really go wrong the, with him. The thing it's about a young Tarantino, uh, this is a big fucking tangent, but the thing about Tarantino that he does better than any other, you know, like he does dialogue, uh, um like absolutely like some of the best dialogue in Hollywood and he does uh suspense like Tarantino really really gets suspense like the one of the most tense scenes that I can like it, it honestly should be a scene in film school like in Inglorious Bast- Inglorious Bastards when uh they're um we're kind of first meeting Hans Landa and the, we've got the Jews hiding in the floorboard that that is like some of them like I was actually probably sitting on the edge of my seat during that scene because I was just like biting my nails like oh my god you know Reservoir Dogs has some has some pretty good oh it does intensity most definitely um when he's stuck in the middle with you you know when you talk about Tarantino and dialogue do you ever wonder what could happen if Tarantino and Kevin Smith ever actually collaborated on anything oh that'd be interesting because the two of them with the dialogue that they both use um that's another you know I mean it's different dialogue but it's smart dialogue both both Directors use very smart dialogue. That vastly, yeah, vastly different applications, generally speaking. But yeah, Kevin Smith is another. Like uh, I know that we're we're obviously pretty big Kevin Smith fans, and sort of defying you know critical uh, um, successes necessarily with Kevin Smith sometimes. But yeah, Kevin Smith is another di- director that really gets dialogue and how that can play a, a, an important part in a movie. Yeah, I I always thought it was funny because he was writing a script for um, Green Hornet way back when, yep. and he. Somebody asked him if he was going to direct. He was like, "No, I can't. I can't direct action flicks." He's like, "If I wrote Green Hornet, like it would be the two, like Cato and what's his face, talking in a diner, smoking cigarettes, <laughs> and there would be action off in the background, like you'd hear banging and clanging and whatnot." But 
um, or Kato would leave and then you would hear the action. Then Kato would come back. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know, man. Um, I get, I get Tarantino's beef with Disney to, to go back to the original segue. But For sure. I, I, I mean, it is what it is. You're not gonna ch- you're not gonna stop Disney. You know what I mean? Like Disney's not gonna lose sleep over the fact that you don't want to work with them. Oh, I mean Disney owns Star Wars and Marvel at this point, so that basically makes them a money making machine. Like they might as well just buy print. Like at this point, the government might as well just issue them a license to print their own money. Yeah. All right. So we, we were next? we were talking about Batman versus Superman. So another good piece of Batman versus Superman news this week is we've got an official runtime for BVS that's two hours and thirty one minutes. Um credits probably 10 of those but we still probably have two hours and 20 minutes of of actual solid yeah story it's a longish movie not not gross like it's not clocking in three hours or something like that but it's a long movie but this is one that i'm really pleased to see that it's a long movie because this movie is really going to be trying to do a lot like one thing that i'm a little bit i'm still a little bit hesitant about is the doomsday angle so much we're introducing batman in this movie we're introducing wonder woman in this movie i think we even get to introduce cyborg a little in this movie we are also bringing in the whole doomsday angle we are also bringing in lex luther like this movie i mean it's ambitious it, it is fucking ridiculously ambitious like they're they're going to be juggling like 18 balls to try to get this thing to, to stay up so and it it's um really got you know, just the the weight of the world's amount of pressure on it, uh, because it's going to be basically the launching point for the whole next five years of DC. We we need to post a link to that that meme that I posted on on our Facebook thing today. <laughs> so um, Eddie and I, as well as Bryce and Sam, who sit in with us on our roundtables uh, pretty regularly, we have a we have a group message going on on Facebook right now, and kind of anytime we see something that's um, funny and related to an upcoming topic of one of our roundtables and whatnot. Like well, we'll we'll throw something up, and in this particular one, we we see Deadpool behind Wonder Woman's shield in in the um, scene from the trailer from uh, Donna Justice, and Superman's like, "Who the hell is that?" And Batman says, "I don't know, but he sounds like Green Lantern." <laughs> and Deadpool says, "Hey, fuck you!" Or, shut or the fuck says, up, Daredevil. Yeah, shut the fuck up, Daredevil. <laughs> so uh, maybe you had to be there, but we'll maybe we'll post the picture. It's it's pretty funny. There's there's. Again, 10 years ago, you didn't find comic book humor anywhere, really. Yeah. Yeah. I like the I like the world we live in right now. This like is Dead, nerd Deadpool. Paradise. Deadpool is on Deadpool is like the biggest thing right now. We just watched a rated R Deadpool movie last week. Like I remember when they first released that that footage of Deadpool. Uh well, actually, they were talking about a, when the Deadpool game came out, like that was the probably the first mainstream exposure Deadpool got to the masses. Um and people were like, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if they did a Deadpool movie?" And basically the the you know, almost unanimous reaction was, no, we'll never get a good Deadpool movie. Um, and then, you know, not too shortly after we got that Ryan Reynolds, uh, leaked footage bit. Um, it, it's so funny. Cause when we first saw him in, uh, X-Men origins Wolverine and they cast Ryan Reynolds, I was like, you know, that's smart. That's yeah, smart. That casting. could work. And then I saw the movie and I was watching and they showed Blake it, Wilson. He didn't have the mask on first. Cause he was just Ryan Reynolds and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is actually pretty funny. This yeah, is, this, is good. this could work. And then he started cutting bullets in half with yeah. a sword. I'm like, okay, that's probably overreaching a little bit. Yeah. And then the end of the movie happened. And I'm like, what? They just actually took Deadpool's head off and shit down his throat. Yeah, they might as well have. Like, like, so did anybody tell you anything about Deadpool at all? Right. Yeah. 
Like, did yeah. anybody involved in making this movie ever actually read a comic book in any way? Or shape, it's or like form? you know, because like, there are some teaser bits, like you were saying, like w- before he's Deadpool in in that movie, they sort of uh, you know they hint at it, and Ryan Reynolds is kind of funny, and you get a little bit of that Deadpool vibe. So it's like it's at that point where they fired the, the like they're like comic book nerd on the movie, right? They're like just fuck it, give him all the powers, and so is Mouth Shut, because uh, that'll make be ironic. Him, make or him Cyclops too. Yeah, why not? Fucking retarded. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, what do we got next? Uh, one more little bit. Uh, I posted a link to this thing. Um, it's Henry Cavill interviewing kids about which uh, is better, Batman or Superman. <laughs> Yeah. It, it is adorable. He um, loses. He loses. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because it's it's almost a little bit predictable, but uh, he kind of kind of steers. He's trying to steer them a little bit. But, you know, Batman can't fly. Did we Superman, not put that in our last Superman episode? can actually fly. Uh, I don't think we did. You better look. All right. Well, Just whatever. Sure. You might get but this link twice. Funny. It's still funny. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. Okay. All right. So, um. We're going to take one more beer break, and then we'll be back for the rest. <laughs> All right. We're back. We have fresh beers. We do. We're ready to round out the show. Are we? More, well. I guess we, we have, have to, because we don't have any more beer. But <laughs> we, we we do have um, quite a bit left. Uh, well, yeah. There's a couple of quick topics. Um, so let's move on to Marvel for a little bit. We've got a petition for Deadpool to host SNL. Uh, I only brought this up because, although it might not go anywhere, I just thought that would be hilarious. Because it, it would be funny. We're not talking about ryan reynolds hosting dead uh hosting snl we're talking about deadpool hosting snl uh, um as in deadpool as a thing unto itself and so i'm just picturing like deadpool doing skits in full deadpool gear right or even but you know with, like with with the costumes over the deadpool gear yeah essentially you know so like he, like you see he, deadpool in an apron and a chef's hat and whatnot that's exactly the thing i'm picturing yes <laughs> that is so funny <laughs> <laughs> or you know deadpool um you know, mask off, but still Deadpool, you know, which right. basically means his shit's wrecked. I think the only way you do this is honestly, if you have him pre-record um, other vignettes too, and then during the sketches, like you play those over top. So Deadpool's like sticking his head up and talking to the audience during the sketch. Yeah. I think it's the only way you can do it. <laughs> that actually adds a third dimension that I really like. Um, so the, I I don't think this is going to happen for a lot of different reasons, but uh, the primary, <laughs> at least one of the big ones being that I didn't realize how much of his mask is like CG and sort of shit like that. Like there's a lot of practical effects going into his mask, but some of the emoting that he does through the mask yeah. is CG. Some of the things to the do with the eyes, CG. the uh, yeah, yeah, not all of them. Some of the eyes are actually um, practical effects, you know, especially when there's a distance shots. But Ryan Reynolds essentially said he couldn't see shit through the mask when he had the, you know. The, the hero eyes is what they call them. Which is them. funny because he kept it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I totally would too. No. Wa- I mean, I'd walk into yeah. shit all the time and, I, and I'd still be like, well, fuck it, I'm Deadpool. That's like, if you think Ben Affleck isn't keeping the bat suit, like... Yeah. Oh, man. Like, you know that thing's got to cost like a whole shit ton of money and they're on the, like, the last day it's going to go missing and Ben's going to be like, well, I don't know. The, I mean, the only thing he probably regrets is that he sold the house that he had the bat cave in to Kevin Smith. Yeah, no, no kidding. Which uh, I think we've talked about in this in previous shows, but this is have. another thing that's pretty awesome about Ben Affleck and being Batman is that he had a Batcave before he was Batman. Yeah. Like before there was ever even a glimmer of a hope of him being Batman. I mean, all it someday. was was like a safe room. Yeah. And and now that Kevin Smith owns it, they, that's where they store their like wrapping paper and shit for Christmas. But God damn it, Kevin Smith, do something better is. with a Batcave. Um. Anyway, um. So petition for Deadpool to host SNL. Really want to see it. Be awesome if it did happen. 
Not hold my breath though. Uh, SNL is gonna have a hard time getting getting a hard R rating approved for their time slot. You know they could pull it off. I think not not a hard R, but they could pull off a, a, an adult. You know because it's SNL and it's on at like fucking midnight anyway. But um, I think that it it would just be a logistical you know like nightmare. Yeah. And the second part of it being that um, they don't have the VFX budget. <laughs> That would be another. Well, I guess the third part then being that it would be kind of hard to get Fox to grant them the rights to use the Deadpool character. Yeah. Although Fox, if you're listening, that shit would be brilliant. Like you get as much exposure to this character as you I, got because Fox right now this is probably your biggest comic book property. That's I'm gonna go so far as to say this is probably your biggest property right now. Yeah, you don't have Star fair. Wars anymore. Like you're not distributing Star Wars. So <laughs> what what else you got? I mean, they they still have X Men, um, which X Men do they though? Really? I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not. No, I think Deadpool has far eclipsed anything they've done with X Men yeah. so far, at least in terms of box office results and shit like that. Yeah. All right, uh, we've got uh, another uh, Marvel's begun productions on Guardians of the Galaxy. We only have another year and two months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's not really much more to that article other than that they they have started production on it, and I for one. Super excited to see another Guardians movie. Me too. Guardians was, uh, you, you know, this is a again a good um, idea of what Marvel can do. They, yeah. they took this, you know, previously completely unknown comic, uh, um, basically, and turned it into a big deal. I mean, some of the comic nerds definitely recognize it, but Guardians is a relatively small comic, do, even in the mar, you know, from a do Marvel we think Groot is is grown up again by the time we get to Volume Two? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, honestly, probably one of the most dynamic roles we've ever seen Vin Diesel in. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I love that line that he gave around the third act somewhere. We are Groot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I give I give Vin Diesel shit sometimes. Um, not that I know him. But I, I really like Vin Diesel. I do, so. too. And I, I, I totally respect the fact that he is absolutely like a card-carrying D&D playing nerd. So. Oh, yeah. He's our people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, anytime I make fun of Vin Diesel, just keep in mind that it's it's in jest, and I I actually really respect it is, the hell out it of that is guy. just really like. Could you imagine casting for that? They're like, um, so the character is not going to appear on screen. Oh, it's a voice part. Okay, cool. Um, you're like the rock raccoon, he's a mouthy little guy, and we're gonna get uh, let's you know let's get Bradley Cooper for that. He's he's got a funny you know he'll be fine. And then they're like, okay, and we've got the tree character, and he says four words the entire movie. Yeah. Generally speaking, in the same sequence, uh, who do we get for that? So just the four? Just the four words? I know the guy. I know the perfect guy. (laughs) (laughs) Call Vin Diesel. That sounds like Vin Diesel to me. You brought up a funny point, though. Like, for Rocket Raccoon, did they have to get Bradley Cooper for that? Oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, they could have saved a couple bucks, right? Probably. I, I don't know. I like Bradley Cooper though too. Um, I think oh, he was I'm, he was a spot on Rocket Raccoon. So. I, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Hangover movies. As ridiculous as they keep getting, yeah. I'm still a big fan. And honestly, it's um, it's Bradley Cooper and uh, oh god, who's the guy that plays the dentist? Andy from The Office. Yeah, can't remember his name either. Me either. Uh, yeah. It's those two that really make those movies. Zach Galifianakis is is uh, I can only handle him in small doses. Uh, see, I would have I would have probably said that before I said Andy. I I so I super dig the part in is it the first one where they have the baby and he names him Rico? 
No, I don't or is think it the so. second one? I think it's the second one. So I don't think I actually, honestly, I don't think I've seen the second. And I know I haven't seen the third. Oh, really? Yeah, you should watch those. They're funny. Yeah, I mean, they have just nothing else there. To they're it. funny movies. Anyway, completely off topic, but um, that's I, I Bradley Cooper has credibility with me for those movies, um, and I also thought he was the perfect choice to play uh, Face in the uh, A Team movie. Although I thought that movie sucked a giant cock. I did not see it, and I actually kind of forgot about it existing until right now when you mentioned it. So that probably there's probably a corollary to the amount of dick it yeah, swallowed. Not Bradley Cooper's fault. Just terrible writing again. Yep. Um. All right. So anyway, Guardians is Guardians is now in production. Sweet. Uh, finally, let's. Uh, this is probably a Matt topic. Uh, <laughs> actually, this is I, I kind of get this one. So we've got a timely return. Yeah. Um, and the reason this is Matt topic is because I didn't read it. I I did skim it very carefully <laughs> about five minutes ago. So, um, Marvel Comics always talks about how they've been around since uh, I think is is it thirty nine? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in reality, um, Marvel Comics started out as a company called Timely Comics. Word. And what they decided know what they've decided to do this summer is they're actually going to release some new books. Um, under the timely banner, not all of like it's not going to be the entire series run. What they're going to do is um, the first three issues are going to be available under the timely banner for three bucks, and I think that's three bucks total, not three bucks each. You know what's interesting here too is that that when when I saw that three dollar figure, I immediately thought what DC's doing with uh, um, that thing we talked about last week. Uh, oh, the uh, rebirth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, so. This is this is kind of cool. Um, there's not many people still left that remember the timely banner. No, but I think uh, some of the bigger comic nerds will probably remember it. But it's a nice little uh, homage. Yeah, those of us that have actually like educated ourselves to like the reality of comics and and where they came yeah, from and whatnot I guess know it. But... Clarifying, there's certainly not a, not a lot of comic readers alive still that read timely. <laughs> right. Um, and it's a really good way to get. Um, buyers for new books and shit like that. Um, if you're selling them, the the way the article is written, it almost makes it seem like issues one through three are going to be a dollar a piece. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, more power to them. I, I think that's kind of a cool deal. Um, after issue three, I think they go back under the Marvel banner and they'll probably be like three or four bucks a piece. But um, if you're really selling the first three issues for three dollars, then I mean, it's a good. I, there are people that won't pay, that won't pay four dollars to read each to to read the first few issues or something. But uh, assuming this is a credible source, yes, you're correct. That is exactly what they're saying. You yeah. get three issues for three dollars, right? Which uh, so that even puts it ahead of Rebirth. Rebirth is just saying we're going to go back to a three dollar price point for our our our, our books. Um, three three issues for three dollars. That's a phenomenal deal, right? Yeah. So anyway, um. That should I mean, be cool. if that if if it's not really clumsy when I was explaining that it's because I was trying to drink beer and talk comics at the same time. Um, not unlike most of the rest of our episodes. But that's kind of a fun idea. Um, and and I think this is uh, kind of a callback to the friendly rivalry that Marvel and DC used to have with one another. Um, when it came to one upsmanship. Yeah. Obviously, we know that this summer is DC's big rebirth, and they're going to be doing a whole bunch of shit with um some of their core titles going going back to their roots. Um, they're going back to a $3 price point per book. 
And I, I think this is kind of Marvel's way of saying, guess what? A dollar a book, baby. <laughs> I, I, I think so, too. <laughs> so, and I actually, um, this is a side note. I dropped a lot of money at the comic book show and shop this last week. Um, and I don't really make a lot of money, so this is kind of a big deal for me. But uh, I, I, I shop at a particular shop in Corvallis that has been holding my subscriptions for me for approximately a year and a half without me having actually gone in and picked them up. So um, I want to I want to send a big shout out to Matt's Cavalcade of Comics in Corvallis for not actually selling my books. <laughs> um s- seriously um i didn't know that part that that's actually pretty amazing yeah like, like no joke like um i've heard of matt's before and i really mostly get my comics digitally which now i guess i kind of feel a little bit dig- uh, bad about but driving over another city is a little rough but that's that's really ridiculously rad customer service yeah um and and granted he's called me a whole bunch over the last couple of years and i haven't it's always like, no seriously dick hole Come yeah, I haven't always answered his calls and whatnot, but I finally went in there and, and made it right with him and, and bought all my comics. And there was one book that he didn't have in my stack, and he was able to actually go pull it off of a shelf. So, um, big shout out to to Matt from Matt's Cavalcade Comics. Um, no relation. No relation at all. But uh, anyway, I, when I was in there, I actually asked him about the Rebirth thing and DC's decision to go back to $3.00 titles and uh 299 and stuff like that and i asked him if it was gonna if he thought it would have any impact um on him as as a independent retailer and he said that when they did it a couple years ago because they had their little moniker drawing the line at 299 yeah he said it didn't really have any impact on him financially um at all and that they actually didn't last for very long either so he's 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 looking at it kind of with uh with with skepticism as as a like you know how far is this really going to go and how long because it only lasted about a year the last time they did it yeah and for like i remain a similar or i have a similar sort of uh cynicism or skepticism about this like um dc's doing a lot with their properties in the last five years you know like we had the whole new 52 thing we've got a, a few different you know major you know convergence and you know stuff like that and now we've got rebirth which is you know, like a further, you know, it's like a retcon on a retcon on a retcon, essentially. Yeah. So, um, you know, as far as pricing is concerned, I'm not really sure, but yeah, I'm a little curious about how this Convergence is all going to Essentially, did nothing. It didn't change anything in the in the post Flashpoint universe. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it it they made it out to be a lot bigger deal than it actually ended up being. Um, the the reason that I think they could probably get away with selling uh, comic books for two ninety nine and not actually have to stop doing that for any t- any length of time is because DC. If anybody's unaware, is owned by Warner Brothers, and at this point, with the movies that they're doing and the television shows that they're doing, they don't actually need the capital from the actual individual comic book sales anymore. Other than the fact that it's probably operating under a different budget, yeah. But overall, the company's making money. See, I think the thing about this is that um, DC is, uh, if things go DC's way, these next five years are going to be massive growth years for DC. Yeah. Uh, um dc's always had you know big name in movies and we've gotten the nolan batman universe and stuff like that and we've gotten um you know batman or not batman superman returns rather but dc hasn't really had a major presence in the cinematic in you know in in the movie industry in really in any way for quite some time they've had a few you know things here and there but not the way that marvel's just sort of dominating comic book movies for the last you know five or six years 
Uh, actually, no, I guess going back all the way to Iron Man in 2008, uh, nine, even maybe. before that too, though, the X-Men movies were still more successful than anything DC had done previously. Yeah. And that goes all the way back to like 2000. I yeah. think X- X-Men uh, uh, one was 2000. I think it was. Yeah. Maybe um, 2001. This is, this is an interesting point. Um, DC is not in a position like Marvel is where its properties are, uh, kind of spread out through a few different studios. Warner brothers essentially has access to every single DC character that exists anytime they want to use it. Um, what this does is it means that their comic book line doesn't actually have to be affected by anything that happens. And what I mean by that is currently Marvel is not publishing fantastic four anymore. Right. Um, Probably because they don't want that shit movie tarnishing their property. Well, and and it, that was, was the it was plan a flagging movie. It was a flagging series, I think, before that. But yeah, that was that was one of the titles that was already slated for extinction uh, prior to the release of the movie. Um, but part of that is is political. Part of that is actually because Marvel wants Fantastic Four back, and so they wanted no comic books on the shelves when the movie came out. Yeah. Um, and in this in this particular case, probably not a bad decision because the movie fucking sucked ass. Oh yeah, it would it would probably have only hurt their sales if they were still publishing that book, which is you know like you said, uh, said or like I said wasn't doing that great to begin with. So yeah. Um, on the flip side of that coin, though, is the X Men universe is actually like very turbulent right now. Like Wolverine's been dead for a year now, I think. Yeah. Um, and consequently, we're getting the last Wolverine movie coming up here this next year. Um. There's no new mutants being brought into the X-Men universe at all. Um, and, and politically, uh, it's it's been thought for a, a couple of years now that that's because they don't want Fox to have access to any additional characters or any new characters. That doesn't surprise me too much. Um, so, and and then if you, if you look at it, if you've been watching like Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., or keeping up with the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Inhumans are huge now. Yeah. What are the Inhumans? They're basically mutants. Basically. So, um, DC doesn't have to do that. They don't have to do anything like that with their new books. So, they can keep publishing their comic books however they want to, and they can even sell them at three bucks a piece, and it doesn't really matter, because it's it. there's nothing that the comic books can do, or there's nothing that the, the movie universe is taking away from the comic books. Yeah. And, you know, just in general, like I said, we haven't really seen a big we haven't really seen a big DC presence in the mainstream for quite some time. Uh, you know, outside, I mean, the biggest DC presence we've got right now is probably the CW universe. Like, no joke, the Flash on the CW is probably the biggest DC property we've got as far as the mainstream media is concerned. Or mainstream, you know, like not comic book nerds is yeah, concerned. There's people that watch the Flash <clears throat> that don't sit down and read comic books ever. Yeah, and, and have never picked up a comic book. And, and you know, for DC going into what may be their renaissance, like if, if uh, Batman versus Superman does well, and then they go through the, this whole Justice League thing, that could be, like, phenomenal for comic sales for them um, because it's going to be a lot more people that want to find out more about these characters. Um, and, you know, I got to say, as much as I absolutely love the Marvel movies and the Marvel Universe, something about having the Trinity on the screen just seems like a way bigger fucking deal to me dc is something that marvel never will be dc is pure and what i mean by that is you look at superman you look at wonder woman you look at batman those three characters and 
like separately all do the things that they do because they want nothing more than for things in the world to be right. It's not a, there's no gray areas in why they do what they do, at least in the comic books and their, their original origins and whatnot. Bruce Wayne went through a tragedy when he was younger. His parents got killed in front of him in an alleyway. He wants to fight crime. Like, plain and simple, he wants the city that he lives in to be a good place to live, not not Gotham City as we know it. Superman. Truth, justice, the American way. It's He's the apple pie of superheroes. Wonder Woman is... And I'm going to get mauled for saying this but i mean she is the 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 feminist version of superman and and that's like pure and simple what that is not necessarily truth justice the american way but she wants to come to the united states and she wants the world to be right marvel characters marvel characters all have a little bit of gray area to them um so it's interesting because we've seen sort of the opposite in the cinematic universe nolan's batman was the realistic superhero which expired a bit, inspired a little bit of a trend in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a little bit, not a whole lot, because, you know, we still got Guardians way after that. But um, it's sort of the opposite that's true when you talk about DC Comics versus Marvel Comics. DC Comics, the characters are basically gods. Like, it is basically the Greek pantheon uh, of, you know, gods and goddesses, and the heroes are intergalactic. And I know Marvel gets into some of this thing, these things when you talk about, like, Thanos and all that generally, but um the biggest marvel character to me probably hands down spider-man yeah um spider-man is spider-man is is awesome don't get me wrong i love spider-man i love the shit out of spider-man but he's not on the same level as superman no no uh um in some ways he's not even really on the same level as batman even though he's got superpowers and batman doesn't obviously um batman plays with gods as you know routine dealings essentially um none of the dc none of the marvel characters generally speaking are like that you know if you look at the big d the big marvel properties spider-man iron man um iron man's probably one of the more extreme examples thor obviously is one of the more extreme examples although i don't think you would really hold a candle to you know a superman or uh something like that do you think superman could lift me holder i think that no because you know what i think that's magic (laughs) I think that essentially comes down to magic. Superman's weak in magic, and I think that's essentially what that is. It doesn't have to do anything with physical strength. Eh, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I think when it comes down to it, Superman would wreck Thor. Like until he was on the ground, and Thor put Mjolnir, Mjolnir right on his Reda's... chest, and yeah. then <laughs> pisses in his face. Because <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, that would be actually a fun fight to see. Um, Anyway, the the point of this being that um, DC's characters are all quite a bit more fantastic. I mean, uh, um, not fantastic like good, but fantastic like having to do with fantasy than uh, Marvel's characters are, generally speaking. I mean, there's there's you know just as much suspension of disbelief on on both sides, it, but they're sort of playing at different scales. It, it all has to do with whether or not you're based in fantasy or whether or not you're based in. Um, a sense of, of reality. Yeah. Um, DC, we have Coast City instead of San Francisco. We have Metropolis instead of New York. We have Gotham instead of New York. You know what I mean? There's... Gotham instead of probably Chicago, but yeah. yeah. They kind of, <laughs> it, depending on what you're talking about, it, it's kind of a little bit of both. But anyway, 
uh, and like um, from the corruption aspect of things, I get I get Chicago. Uh, but back in back in the eighties, seventies, and shit, that was New York. Like New York yeah, is known point. as Gotham. That's a good point. So, so uh, the thing is, is that they're they're sort of doing different things, and, and you know, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I grew up primarily with Superman. I mean, Superman was like my jam when I was a kid. I, remember, I you know, wearing the Superman pajamas, and that was like my favorite superhero ever. Did you have the cape? Oh yeah, because I had the Batman jammies with the cape. I had I'm the cape, saying. like the two velcros that stuck <laughs> oh, on. Oh yeah, you. oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was some pimp shit back then. I'll I, tell you, th- this is a segue entirely, just based on clothing, but. For Christmas this year, I actually bought my brother um, a, a, a long sleeve T-shirt that looked like the Darth Vader chest nice. and stuff, yeah. and it, it had a it Velcro cape. I'll uh, see. And Velcro capes should come back. Capes, in just in general, if capes could come back, I'd be so happy. And my brother, my brother, to his credit, put that shit on and rocked it like all day on Christmas. <laughs> and 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 he's thirty one years old, so that's the right thing to do. So. Um, the short of it, the short of it is that they're sort of playing on different leagues, which is both strengths and weaknesses for either. Like that's a thing that I like about Marvel, and it's a thing that I like about DC. Like they're two different, you know, like they're not quite apples and oranges, but they're different enough that they're both interesting to me. But for whatever reason, I've all I've always been a little bit more of a DC fanboy, um, probably having to do with you know just exposure to the you know the pantheon when I was a kid, um, Superman, Batman. Wonder Woman. You know, it's funny. Um, we talked about this a little bit either last week or the week before. I don't remember what it was, but my first uh, big comic book hero for me uh, was Green Lantern. That being said, though, um, I always had... Uh, I, I, I can't pick. I can't say that I'm a DC fanboy or, or, I, or I'm a Marvel fanboy. And, and I think you put it best last week when you said that when you have to choose between one or the other, you really you're shutting yourself off from a lot of really good stuff oh, yeah. on the other Don't side. Don't get me wrong; it's like fifty-one to forty-nine. Like it's not like a like I'd, I'd be it. It's not a easy decision. Like it's like Sophie's choice. Like if I had to pick one or the other, I'd be really hard pressed to say which one I'd pick on any given day. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the fact that Marvel was a little bit grittier in a lot of ways um, versus DC, which, as you said, it was it's it's a lot more fantastical. Um, there's it's fantastical a word just fantastic i think works probably <laughs> fantastical is an app on the ios app store it's pretty yeah. good if you want to manage calendars um i i just i i really dig both sides for different reasons uh and then on the other side we not even on the other side on the third side of the coin because it's now we're flipping a fucking triangle or whatever yeah uh, we've got image comics which is also really good but for a completely different way image comics gives us stuff that we don't necessarily get from marvel or dc um they both dc has published quote-unquote horror comics in the past so has marvel marvel zombies uh dc's had uh swamp thing was actually classified as a, as a horror comic for years and years um but in in image we get things like the walking dead the walking dead doesn't serve it, it doesn't exist in a universe where there's superheroes or supervillains or gods or whatever um we've got things like saga which you and i are going to talk about here in a little bit uh yeah spawn spawn is is one of the ultimate good versus evil on a biblical level type comic book you know what i mean like yeah it's a it's a wholly different thing yeah holy (laughs) Uh, and by holy he means completely yeah not Jesus. Right. 
from The Walking Dead or otherwise. Yeah. Or so, uh, that other thing, what's it called? Uh, Christianity. Yeah. Yeah, man. Whatever. Anyway. Um, um, so, yeah. Where, where are we going now? Are we talking comic books now? Is that the next thing? Yeah, let's just move on because we're losing the plot a little here. Yeah. Um, so we got one more short little thing to hit, and then we're going to talk about some comics. Uh, Xena, the re- Xena reboot that's happening. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. How did I forget this? So fuck you, Game of Thrones. Fuck probably. you and your big fucking ass. <laughs> you're probably blocking it out of your mind because you were thinking, we're going to get hot Xena girls again in their yeah. skimpy little leather outfits. And the, the, the studio is basically saying, no, that's not the way we're going. Here's the deal. I don't care that they recast Xena. You know why? Because Lully Laws, Lully, 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 Lucy Lawless is not young anymore. And and we saw in Spartacus that she's still not bad looking. No, she's hot. But, but yeah, she's not Xena anymore. Yeah. And Gabrielle, I haven't seen her in years. I have no idea what she looks like. She, she could be she living in a turn... trailer in Florida, for all I know, and yeah. feeding the gators in her backyard. I don't know. So I don't care that they recast. What I care about is this. There's one particular character in Game of Thrones that has gone on record as saying that the way things are portrayed on TV isn't realistic and that an actual warrior woman in reality would be almost completely covered up. And now the producers at Xena are saying, you know, maybe there's something to that. Okay, first off, let's be really, really super clear here. I totally agree. In reality... You're right. You're absolutely fantastically right. Most games, movies, and TV shows, and and so on, where they want to portray any sort of realistic idea of women's body armor, completely correct. They, it's absolute bullshit the way that they do it. Uh, but Xena's not that. Xena's where they fight Hercules, and they're basically just uh, um, Xena was never meant to be taken seriously. Yeah, it's not a serious show. Like, I think they're. Um, th- this isn't the only thing. You know, like the outfits isn't really what I'm getting hung up on here. Maybe a little, but the outfits. Told, if I don't see Gabrielle's midriff, I'm not happy. And, but then and this this should be taken as a compliment to the chick who played Gabrielle in the first series because that chick, she was the perfect, like she was the perfect girl next door, man. Like she was, she was pretty, and not overly muscled, and just had the the. Matt, Matt's gonna need a minute. I'm just... gonna. I'm probably gonna go jerk off here in a minute now. Okay, so here's the thing. Um. The, the the only thing that's really disappointing about this for me is it seems like they're losing a little bit of what makes Xena Xena. Like, it's not supposed to be serious. It's not supposed to be realistic. It's a popcorn-y, you know, sort corny. Putting the, it's putting the corny in popcorn. Like, Xena had an audience because men like scantily clad women who go, la, 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 when they... Yeah, when they throw things. I mean, don't get me wrong. The scantily clad part is probably a part of part of it, but like, don't don't. All I'm saying is, don't take yourself too seriously. Like, I'm not saying like if, if you cover the women, like I'm not like I can't watch this. Like, no way. But I'm saying, don't take yourself too seriously because that's what this sounded a little bit yeah. like to me. Xena was a Xena is not supposed to be serious. Xena was a spinoff from Hercules, which was a vehicle for fucking Kevin Sorbo for shit sakes. <laughs> D- disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is how we should have opened this article okay. oh god anyway, let's yeah. move on let's talk about some comics uh yeah let's what, what's the first on our hit list uh let's do the walking dead so the walking dead 150 and 151 are out if you're watching the show and you don't want any spoilers uh tune out for uh, until i don't know we stop talking about the walking dead yeah whatever i'd like to say that i'm going to put in noises or markers or something but i probably it's won't. not gonna happen yeah um 
So The Walking Dead 150, do you remember that one very well? Um, I really expected something hugely monument- monumental to happen. Yeah, so did I. Um, because of what happened in Walking Dead 100, which, uh, again, spoilers, uh, that's the issue where Glenn dies. Yeah, it's a big deal. It is a huge deal. They introduced Negan. That is sort of our formal introduction to Negan and the way that the governor chopping off Rick's hand yeah. was a big deal. Um, they introduce us to Negan and the way that they do that is they bash Glenn's fucking brains in with Lucille, which is the name of uh, Negan's bat. bat. Yes. Um, but there wasn't anything really huge that happened in this issue. No, not really. Um, I mean, not huge on a, you know, like that sort of scale. Like it's, it wasn't like a season finale. Rick kind of came to the decision at that point that um, they'd gotten soft and needed to do something different. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the issue where he actually goes and does the town hall meeting? I believe so. This is immediately after he gets jumped, right? Yeah, it may even be the same issue. Like, I, I can't remember if that's 149 where he gets jumped or if it's in 150. But yeah. in one of these episodes, he essentially gets jumped by the towns. Just... Uh, so we'll go back a little bit further. There's this group of big bads right now called the Whisperers, um, yes. which are basically really crazy people who wear, um, you know, like we've seen this in The Walking Dead picture, show. Picture Rick's group, only instead of living in a town behind walls, they actually just wear walker skin all the time all the time yeah like we've seen this in the walking dead tv show they they put on the walker guts and then that allows them to move around a little bit for a while and this one they they basically wear walker skin all the time and they're called the whisperers because they never speak above a whisper so as not to attract the the walkers yeah um so they're the big bads these guys were introduced in a really really clever way actually too because they actually really do um coexist with the walkers in terms of they walk around with them and in giant groups of them and whatnot yeah um and when they were first introduced they were introduced in such a way that made you believe that there were actually walkers out there that had learned to speak and shit yeah so that that was it was really well done but uh the reason we're all pissed off is because the walker uh the whispers and the, the issues leading up to this killed a bunch of people not not the whispers one the alpha their yeah. leader who's a chick a bald chick they killed a bunch of people. Um, it also so happens that we um, have been introduced to Alpha's daughter, uh, Lydia, Lydia, who uh, Carl has banged. Yeah, they got they basically <laughs> got in their society and they had control over for a while. And so a lot of this, the the uh, group were saying, you know, we need to fuck that chick up or use her as leverage to, you know, beat the whispers. And um, Rick wasn't really having that because that's not how you treat people. And uh, so Rick got his shit. Uh, fucked up because the you know a couple of members were basically like we need strong leadership and this, this is, isn't the guy the, the the way this went about was actually kind of crazy because uh lydia had actually come to alexandria with carl and then they decided that they were going to go and actually encroach upon the whispers territory and try and talk to yep the, the alpha and stuff didn't go well meanwhile the alpha was actually at their big festival that they decided they were going to have between alexandria the hilltop and the kingdom Yep. Um, And she killed a ton of people that were actually relatively important. Um, Rosita, who you know from the show as well, Mm -hmm. um, who is now with Eugene and pregnant. Uh Not pregnant anymore because she's dead. Probably a little less. Yeah. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, leader of the kingdom, who um, we haven't actually seen in the show at all. Also Also dead. Kind of a a big deal. Romantic interest for Michonne, for sure. Uh, so lots of, lots of actual, uh, important characters died in the comic book. Um, 
in this particular instance. So it, it, it is a big deal. And the fact that Rick hasn't immediately gone after the whispers has created uh, dissension among the ranks. Yep. Basically. Um, oh, and I should mention that uh, Negan's group, the saviors are also actually now part of this coalition because Negan is in prison and uh, Dwight, who is, we probably will meet in the show at some point. I don't know for sure though. We may have already. Yeah. Um, is, is kind of their, their de facto leader at this point. Um, turns out he's actually kind of okay, which is the subject of 151. Dwight, Dwight is actually a pretty good leader. Yeah. Um, uh, he just doesn't think it. And, uh, so moving into 151, uh, Rick is basically, you know, crippled because he's only got the one hand and they're clearing walkers essentially as a team. And, um, one of the guys that jumped Rick in 150 or maybe 149, I'm having trouble remembering, um, Rick didn't immediately decide to have executed because he basically said, well, you fucked up once. Don't do it again. Yeah. Um, can I, can I go back to 150 real quick? Yeah, go for it. So the alpha has a moment of weakness in this, in the, in 150. That was one of the important things in 150 is, is actually, um, and one of her whispers kind of sees this and is talking to her and he's telling her it's okay that she's got feelings for her daughter and whatnot. And that as long as nobody else finds out that her leadership is safe and she's like, you know what? You're right. And then guts him. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Which was kind of important to kind of illustrate what kind of a person and, and group that the whisperers and alpha are. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to 151. Uh, so one of the guys that jumped Rick, uh, that Rick decided he should let live. Um, and I think, yeah, it's actually saved him more than just that, but, it, um, kind of is he's basically trying to help the guy reintegrate into the group uh, um a little bit since he you know we should be paying a penance essentially so anyway those guys are all out clearing walkers um workers as a team working as a team circling you know fire fire shooting or fire shooting like a firing squad essentially fire shooting is a now thing um, like a firing squad, essentially, they're they're clearing walkers, and it gets a little skeevy at one of the parts, and it looks like the uh, guy that beat the hell out of Rick is going to go down, but Rick saves him again, and through this, uh, Rick sort of uh, can't quite fight off the, the walkers as well as he would like. Daryl saves... Er, Daryl, fuck. Uh, Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne saves Dwight. them. God damn it. <laughs> I'm on my gun. I can't shoot you. Either. Yeah. Dwight. Dwight manages to save the lot of them by not only uh, um, fending off the walker that was attacking Rick, but by sort of taking control over the um, formation and moving the team, you know, more like a soldier would, which, you know, Rick basically says, you know, I'm I'm at the limits of my training as a cop. It seems like you, you, you trained as a soldier and, you know, you're basically a leader, whether you like to be or not. And uh, Dw- Dwight doesn't really want to hear it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, this is one fifty one is almost more important of an issue than one fifty is because a little bit you kind of start getting the sense that Rick realizes that he isn't what he was when this whole thing when he first woke up. Um, and honestly, if you're listening to this and you haven't read the comics and you're not concerned about spoilers and anything like that, it's important to understand that this comic book series and the TV show had really virtual identical openings. In fact, the first season mirrors the first several issues of the, of the comic really well. Very well. Um, Except for the little bit where they decided that the walkers are going to be too intelligent. Well, and the Shane bit yeah, is a little bit different, but not a ton. Anyway, um, 
Rick's getting old. This comic book has been published for over 10 years now. So it's, um, and, and there has been time lapses and granted time does not pass in comic books like it does in, in reality. We know that, uh, anybody who's read superhero comics or anything else kind of gets that, but Rick is, is definitely older now than he was when they, when the epidemic started or when he woke up from his coma during the epidemic. And, and I think this is one of the first issues that really illustrates his understanding of that. Yeah. That, and you know, just he's crippled. Um, yeah, he has no arm. And uh, his knees fucked up too. Yeah. He, he's been, he's been, you know, he's been ridden hard and put away wet like more than one time. Like, uh, so that, that, that's a big part of this, um, issue. I think, uh, there's another big part of the issue, which is that Rick sort of delegates off. Like he, he's essentially saying, you know, the kingdom is now without a leader and those people are, they're, they're good people, but they're not leaders and they'll get eaten alive if they left, left their own devices. So Michonne go take over. And Michonne basically says, yeah, I kind of knew that I was just waiting for the kick to go do it. So yeah, let's do that. Um, important backstory for that is, um, the the former leader of the kingdom Ezekiel was one of the ones that died uh one of the ones that Alpha killed yep um Bummer. and these people that we're talking about didn't just die like she not only killed them but she decapitated them and put their heads on pikes yep so um that's that's kind of important imagery um Michonne and Ezekiel had a thing uh in this comic book universe is not the same as the the television series so there there is no Rishon so to speak uh-huh um she actually brings up a good point. Do you, I don't think we're going to see, like, I think we'll see Ezekiel in some form, especially because they got to do that tiger thing. Right. But I don't think we'll see an Ezekiel Michonne relationship in that way. No, because he's banging, Rick's banging Michonne now, and there's no, like, Andrea's I, I think, gone. So I think Michonne no... is essentially stepping in for Andrea. Yeah. All right. So, anyway, um, the this, you know, we've already got. Um, Maggie in the sanctuary. So now we've got basically uh, uh, Rick's group leading some of these ter- these major territories. And one of the funny things I thought, which is a bit of a hint towards the future, I think, um, Michonne asks, uh, or Rick says, now who am I going to get to? No, it's Michonne. Michonne says, now who, who are you going to get to run the saviors? And uh, Rick was Rick like, says, I've been thinking about that and I, I don't, yeah, I don't have an answer. And Michonne's question immediately after that is, well, how old is Carl now? Yeah. Um, so I think that gives you a hint towards the future a little bit. Cause I, I, I really do think that at some point it, it was rumored for a while that Rick was going to die in one fifty, and that he was going to end up, you know, being supplanted essentially by Carl. But I do think that that's going to happen. Not, not necessarily anytime soon, but I do think that that's going to happen. Maybe 200. I could see that being a thing. I don't know. I don't know if they go. See, here's the thing. Kirkman a long time ago went on record about the walking dead and basically said, look, I want people to understand this is not necessarily a zombie story. He said one of his biggest frustrations with watching zombie movies or reading zombie stories or anything like that in the past was there's never a resolution. Right. Um, it always kind of just ends and you don't know what happened to the characters and, set, and such. And his whole purpose behind The Walking Dead was to create a story that was centered around one person individual. In this case, it's Rick Grimes. Rick yeah. Grimes is the focal point of this story. So the story doesn't just end because there's a zombie apocalypse. There's not just one event that they have to get through and everything like that. It's an ongoing struggle. And it's about how a person changes when the rules around them in life change. So 
I don't see this. I don't see Rick actually dying in the comic books ever. Um, just in terms of keeping the story going from a financial standpoint, maybe at some point image comics or, or whatever is like, okay, well this is our moneymaker and it's great. You want to kill your main character, but you got to do something different. But I don't think Kirkman's at that story yet. Um, I think Kirkman envisioned this originally to be like a 20 year run. That's interesting. So, well, yeah, that would put us, you know, closer to around to issue 300 then. But yeah. I, th- I think essentially the thing, the thing is, is that, like you said, you know, if Kirkman's saying, uh, you, you know, there's never a resolution, what resolutions can there be? Like, I don't think The Walking Dead is telling a story where we find a cure. Right. I and, Am Legend tried that, and it wasn't even fucking zombies. It was vampires, really. Yeah, I, I don't think we're doing that. I don't think we're we're in a story where they're going to find a cure. If anything, I think that we're in, we're in a story where they're going to find equilibrium, like where we're going to progress even further than we are in the book so far and essentially reestablish a bit of a society where, where you know, zombies become something more akin to, like, bad weather, you know? Well, and it's it's funny that you say that because the TV show has almost gotten to that point. In fact, like the, in fact, the majority of the last season and a half, the walkers haven't really posed the big threat. It wasn't until they broke down the walls at Alexandria that they were even considered a, a, a threat, a, a yeah. deal at all. So, but I, I think that's a possible end game. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think, I think probably this is a story of reestablishing society. Maybe. So, Funny segue. Yeah. Do you watch The Talking Dead? Not usually. Okay. So, um, Yvette Nicole Brown from The Community has been on the show a couple times. Yeah, I've actually heard enough about that from the Walking Dead subreddit. She is a super fan. Yeah. Uh, They actually had a uh, camera in her home (laughs) while she was watching the (laughs) Rishon episode. Yeah. Because she's been calling this for a long time. So, they captured her legitimate freak out. (laughs) <laughs> on on film and it was it was hilarious anyway i'll have to go check that out yeah that sounds so, funny that pretty much brings us up to speed on the walking dead comic books uh current line uh current timing eddie and i both will um continue to read the uh the books and we'll we'll do this every time there's a new issue out whatever whatever show follows after the new issue comes out we'll 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 talk about it we'll talk about the next issue uh what's next uh, do we want to talk about the Dark Knight Strikes again? Or is it Strikes Back? Which strikes one? Strikes again. Second one. Second in the Dark Knight series. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's hit that one. I didn't like it. I started off liking it. And then about a third of the way in, it started getting really, really fucking cheesy and not well written at all. Okay, I concur. Like, it, it, um, it seems to push a certain ideology. Ideology? A little bit too hard, I think. Yeah. Uh, it gets way too political, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I didn't like it. Short, um, short story is, as, as much as I absolutely fucking love The Dark Knight Returns, I, I now understand why a lot of people do not like this book as yeah, a this, sequel. This, this sequel was critically panned, and for good reason. Yep. Um, it introduced one good character, um, and that was the uh, daughter of Wonder Woman and Clark Kent. Yeah, I did like her. Um, and you'll you'll continue to do so as you read uh, the Dark Knight three. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is only two issues into it. But yeah, there's not really a lot to talk about this um, because it's not any, it's not anything that's really worth spoiling. And to be fair, we talked about, I, we hinted at this a little bit the last time Eddie hadn't read it yet though. Um, the Oliver Queen role in it kind of recycled from the original story. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like almost identical actions. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it gets us to where we're at in dark Knight three, which so far is actually starting out to be better than the dark Knight strikes again. Um, but I don't think anything's ever going to actually parallel or, or come close to being as good as the, the original dark Knight returns. That's fair. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'll read, I'll, I'll read the dark Knight three and see how I think about how I feel about it. But this to me was a massive quality difference from, uh, you know, for a sequel. Yeah. My, my take on it. And, and I'm, just going to throw this out there knowing you like I do. I think you're going to appreciate the fact that Frank Miller isn't the only person doing the art in dark Knight three. And, but there is Frank Miller art. Like it's, it's kind of a, a, an amalgamation of other people's art as well as Frank Miller. And that's really well done. And I think you're going to appreciate that. Yeah. Now that you mention it, the art, the art, um, really wasn't a big like actually honestly that this is probably one of the things that uh struck me the most about the book as much as i like the art in the dark knight returns i really did not care for the art very much in this book here's the thing i don't like the dark the art and the dark knight returns at all i don't like it in either one but the thing is is there's so much dialogue and so much actual legitimately good story in the first dark knight that it doesn't matter yeah in the dark knight strikes again there's not as much story and it's really derivative. So like you're kind of left focusing more on the book itself and it's just visually not appealing at all. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So I don't think we really need to talk about that anymore. We'll, we'll talk about it a little, probably in, in relation to the dark Knight three, uh, uh, when we get to that book. So, yeah, I've read the first two issues of it, which are all this out right now. Eddie hasn't gotten to him yet, but hopefully by the next time we actually sit down, he'll have read those two. You want to talk about the first five books of saga? Yeah. How well do you remember? Uh, pretty well, because I've right. read them more so recently, you, I think, than you. You go over, yeah. I haven't actually read Saga, the first five books, for probably about two or three years now. So, um, um, I am catching up, though. I think I'm on 14 or 15 now. This book must have gone on hiatus for a long time, because it, they're only, I think, did. up to like, issue 34 now, I think. It did. They, they took like at least a year off. Actually, I stopped reading at, at the point where they went on, went on hiatus, which I think was around 12 or 13 or something like that. Who, who writes this book? Um... Fiona Staples is the artist, and it's uh, God. I want to say his name is Brian something or other. Give me just a second; I'll look it up. Uh, anyway, tell me about your thoughts about Saga One Through Five. Um, and I'll hit my microphone so I'm super <laughs> professional. So Saga One Through Five. Um, this is not dissimilar to a lot of comic books. Brian K. Vaughn. Okay, this is not dissimilar to a lot of comic books in that in the first five issues are really kind of the getting your feet wet. Uh, stage of this book um, the only thing is there's a really a lot of content to cover in this there's a war yep um, and it's between the winged people and the horned people they have uh, uh, other names I think one is called reach and one is something I don't quite remember yeah, it's been remember. a long time I don't remember um, fall, 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 the, yeah <laughs> fuck fuck <laughs> um, but it's it, it's kind of cool so there's a winged chick and she's giving birth that's that's kind of the opening of the book, um, and then you find out that uh, this horn dude is actually the father. 
and he's some kind of badass warrior. Like his his people with the with the ram horns are are supposed to be super badass and whatnot. And he actually he actually is badass. Uh, he just also doesn't buy into the political bullshit that is going on with the war, and uh, and meets this chick, and she's super hot with her wings and whatnot, and um, they bone, and they have a kid. Yeah. Um, the the later books I go, go on to describe that process a little bit better, but I I don't know this this book is really interesting. There's a lot of really interesting aspects of this book. Um, the political thing about it is kind of cool. Like I do like the idea that they're they're very much war torn. Like, and it, it it's not just on one planet. That we should illustrate the fact that this is not a a just a one planet kind of a thing. This this war is actually happening um across a galaxy. Yeah. Um. God damn it! I wish I could remember the one the other name. I, I'm I'm sure it's Reach, and I'm sure the other one is like an F word, but I can't remember the right fucking yeah. F word. Um. So there's a lot of interesting things in there. Like there's interesting characters. Like one of the, the, uh, godmother of the baby ends up being this, uh, um, some, uh, a dead chick. Yeah. It's a ghost. Incorporeal ghost that only has half a body, the top half with entrails hanging from the bottom. Doesn't, doesn't she actually, um, possesses. Yeah. Somebody. I don't remember. Is it the chick? Is it the baby? Does she live in the baby when she's, when it's daytime and whatnot? I think so. Yeah. I think that's right. The, um, there's another character called the Will. The Will's a bounty hunter. He has. Uh, I like the Will. Yeah, the Will's awesome. He has a <laughs> he has a pet called the Lying Cat, and it does exactly as his name would say, and it tells you when people are lying. Yeah, um, which is you know helpful if you're a bounty hunter. In fact, in the last issue, he actually just went to a um, a sex planet. Yep, and uh, found out that they're not only uh, trafficking sex with. Um, consenting people but they have like underage slave girls and whatnot and and he's a fucking bastard but he doesn't dig that at all and and decides he wants to try and get this chick off planet because uh one of the one of the chaperones uh tries to get him to uh to basically nail this this underage little girl and whatnot and he's not he's not having it there's our seeming antagonist prince robot the fourth yes um and and this is we find out in the first issue that these robots um have sex doggy style as you do if you're a robot yeah um so prince robot's actually kind of interesting because it's sort of like a crt television head on top of a you know more or less humanoid body yeah this is a really really uh imaginative story it's very sort of bombastic like um I mean, you'll see a lot of things that are sort of familiar, but in completely different ways. Like, I was just checking out another article or another issue, trying to find the name of the uh, other main, uh, 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 you know, planet in this intergalactic war thing, and uh, I came across, you know, a talking creature that looked essentially like a walrus. So, yeah. man, I'm not doing the series justice at all no, <laughs> in our uh, description, but it, it's it, weird. Uh, so here's the thing: if you're listening to this and you feel at all. Um, like you're interested or compelled to to check it out, do it because it's this is not a bad comic book series at all. I mean, if you're looking to read comic books for superhero stuff, this isn't probably for you. But if you want to read something that's super entertaining and not something that you probably would have thought of on your own, then check this out because it's actually kind of cool. Oh, it's fantastic. There's a lot of things that are um, 
there's a lot of good things about this. The dialogue in this in these books are great. I really, really like the art. Like uh, Fiona Staples does a great job with the art. Yeah. Um, the dynamic between the two main characters is really, really, really well done. Um, those characters are written very well. And and I mean like the horn dude and the the wing dude or chick. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Um. So yeah, um, Eddie's further ahead in the story than I am, so that's why I'm. We we only talked about issues one through five here, and again, we're not talking about each individual issue because these are very much introductory issues. You know, what's stupid is I keep saying reach. Reach is not right. It's cleave. Cleave. Cleave is one planet. Landfall is the other. Landfall. Cleave and landfall. Okay, yeah. My bad. Um. In addition to the will is the bounty hunters. There's another bounty hunter chick that's a giant spider. With tits. And. She's dead. Yeah, more or less. As of issue five. Yeah. So she's a cool character this year. She is a really cool character, and you find out um actually through issue number five that the Will is very much actually still in love with this chick. They had they had a thing going on. Um and it was actually the phone call that he made to her trying to get her to help him get this underage chick off this sex planet that uh kind of got her killed in the first place. Yeah. Dick move, Will. Yeah. Whatever. His heart was in the right place. Yeah. Good intentions. Road to hell paved with good intentions. Yeah. Anyway, so Saga. Uh, Saga remains one of my ongoing favorite series that I just absolutely don't know how to describe to get other people to like it. It, it won't take us very long to probably get caught up on this and be on the same page. Yeah. Um. So just maybe, you, maybe you're still interested, but you don't necessarily want to commit to going out and reading the comic books. Uh, keep listening and, and we'll, we'll have more detailed information as we get further into the book. I will say this, although I've heard nobody actually do a very good job of selling this book. Lots and lots of people I, I read and listen to that are intri- into comics recommend Saga, but none of us know how to tell you why you should read it. Marv Wolfman actually, I think, mentioned Saga during our interview with him as yeah. one of his, his favorite books currently. Yeah. So, so there you go. Saga, super good. But uh, I, I can't tell you exactly what makes it so awesome. Just check it, it out. It's it's well done. It's a yeah, well done book. It's well done. I, I mean, yeah, there's lots of things that are really good. The dialogue's really good. The art's really good, like I mentioned before. Um, there's sort of some fantastical elements about it that are cool. Um, even the, you know, the story's good. The story yeah, just the, in general. The idea itself is 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 good. So why not? Um, do you want to talk about Spider-Man number one? Um, cause yeah. I didn't read that. So I, yeah, that. and I didn't expect you to, cause I didn't actually mention it to you until today when I, I went through it on there. Um, there's a few different Spider-Man books right now. There's the amazing Spider-Man, um, actually centers around Peter Parker and whatnot. There's Spider-Man 2099, which, um, focuses around, uh, McGill, who is the original Spider-Man 2099 from the nineties. If you ever read that book, uh, but it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is Spider Gwen, which is uh, a parallel universe Gwen Stacy, who got the spider powers. Interesting. Um, and there is Silk. Silk is actually one of my favorite books because um, I think it's really well done. It's about a girl named Cindy Moon who got bit by the same spider that bit Peter Parker. Only she was locked in a giant sealed vault for several years uh, to keep her away from the uh, antagonists of the... spider-verse mm-hmm. uh, series that just recently happened within the last year um and she actually does spin silk out of nothing and whatnot and has uh a an even more sensitive spider sense than peter parker does cool. it's it's kind of a it, it's an enter- entertaining book um 
but the actual book called Spider-Man number one centers around one of Eddie's favorite characters, actually. Which Miles. Would, which would be Miles Morales. Yeah. Uh, we're now all in the same universe, though. This is not an Ultimates versus uh, 616 because ever since the last big event in Marvel, since Secret Wars, like, this is this is it. Marvel, uh, or Miles Morales now coexists in the same universe as uh, Peter Parker and all that other good stuff. So... Um, this is actually the first book in the series of that. It's I'm, I'm not going to go into detail about it. I don't want to. I don't want to do any spoilers because this is actually a brand new book. And I do want to check this out. Yeah, um, but I I wanted to mention it and get it on Eddie's radar as well as your guys's. That um, if if Spider Man or Ultimate Spider Man has has kind of been your thing in the past, this 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 is a good book. To check out. All right, and then let's wrap up with Spawn one through five, which of course I haven't read. So tell me about it. Um, I read these a long, long time ago, and just recently I decided I kind of want to go into it because I don't think I ever read more than the first twenty issues. Um, Spawn one through five is a lot like Saga one through five. It's a, it's a, it's a an introduction story. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet Al Simmons, who is Spawn. Yeah. Um, he is a um, mercenary or was a mercenary in life. Uh, his government turned on him, which is how he died. Although I don't think he's actually figured that out yet um it's pretty easy to pick up on though during the dialogue and he was offered a deal upon death which was his soul in exchange for getting to see his wife wanda again um here's the catch it's five years later wanda's remarried to al simmons former best friend terry has a baby which uh i'll comes to conclude that he was the reason that they couldn't have a baby before because they tried and couldn't have one and then all of a sudden he's not in the picture and they've got one and when he tries to appear in human form not as spawn he's a blonde white dude instead <laughs> of a black guy which is what he was before in life um so it's it's basically him getting to know that side of things realizing that he was fucked over by essentially the devil um, there's a funny little clown guy that comes around and tries to kill him because he's actually um, one of the devil's henchmen called the Violator. And in the most recent issue that I read, I think, which was number five, um, the devil, also known as Melbolgia in this universe, uh, basically tells him, look, your power's not without limits. Eventually it's going to run out and you're going to die of a second death, in which case I get a new warrior for my cause. Or you can choose not to use your power and not to help the innocent, and then the bad guys overrun, and I get more people to my cause anyway. So it doesn't matter what you do, I win in either case. Um, so that's where we're at in the story right now. Um, he actually um, just killed a child murderer and hung them up uh, for the cops named Billy Kincaid. Billy Kincaid was a, he was convicted of killing a child, released on a technicality six years later. And Al Simmons finds us out because Billy Kincaid was actually a, a dude on his hit list before he died in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, father of the child that he was convicted of killing had actually hired Al, Al Simmons to kill him, um, which he didn't do before he died. And then he made good on that before. This is like so. uh, interdimensional money back guarantee. Yeah, kind of. Um it's it's a really good book. Um, 
I'm not a religious person, so the whole good versus evil, God versus the devil thing, um, to me, that's kind of what the Bible is anyway. It's a big comic book. <laughs> when it comes down to it. Yeah. Maybe not as convoluted, or maybe a little bit more convoluted. But Yeah. Um, so this kind of story is something that's right up my alley. I don't know. Um, I don't think you watch it, but there's a super um, the TV uh, show Supernatural. No, you could talk to Ashley all day about it, but does she watch it? Yeah, I might have to bring her on the show sometime. She she's like uh, caught up actually. I think all you know what is it like nineteen seasons now? Eleven. They're on yeah, season eleven. I know, this I'm year. kidding. I'm not caught up on it this season, but I've, I've watched. Some, all somebody the other posted. Ones. Uh, it might have been a Mel actually. I think it was a Mel posted on Twitter the other day. Like this is what Ollie would look like in uh, if if it ran for as long as Supernatural did. You know, with the oh, screenshot with of shit. with the screenshot of uh, the the twenty forty six yeah. Legends episode. Um, that show has a really interesting take on, on God versus the devil and all that good stuff. And yeah. Spawn is kind of, I think started that in terms of pop culture. Um, it's created by a, a dude named Todd McFarlane and he's relatively well known now because if you've bought an action figure having to do with a, a comic book in the last several years, he, it probably came out of his studio, uh, he doesn't get enough credit, I don't think, anymore. But he founded Image Comics. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go back and read Spawn, probably. Yeah, him and him and some other dudes uh, founded Image Comics. And he also had a really, really good run on Spider-Man. Hmm. Uh, some of the some of the better stories in Spider-Man were, were Todd McFarlane stories. And the great thing about Spawn is when you open the cover of, of it up and you look at it, it says, story, pencils, inks, Todd McFarlane. <laughs> Wow. There's not really a lot that anybody else does, especially in the very beginning. Eventually, um, he got busy doing other things. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote the story and then brought uh, Greg Capullo, who we've talked about before, um, in to do the art. But I love love Capullo's art. Um, Yeah. Capullo. Yeah. Batman does. uh, He does great art in in Batman. So, yeah. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep reading them. In fact, and and if Eddie's going to read them, I might actually. we might we might maybe talk next time we we do this if he's had a chance well, to read. I can for sure commit to one through five. Like I'm I'm pretty po- positive that that might be like my wind down tonight is going to read a couple. You spots, should try so. for one through ten because that way then we can talk. We can talk five through ten. Five through ten too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see what we can do. Okay. So uh, that's the show this week, guys. Um, you can always do the same things we talked about every week. Uh, go find us on uh, iTunes and give us a rating. We'd really really appreciate that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at whatever you show. You can like our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash whatever you show. Tell your friends, tell your family. Um, someday we'll have bumper stickers for you to put on your cars and stuff like that. So you can espouse not only your shitty uh, political beliefs, but also your shitty podcast beliefs. Um, yeah, that's fair. Email us questions at whatever.co. Um, and if you have anything else, like, you know, hit us up in one of those alleys and we'll see what we can do for you. You know what will be great about a whatever podcast bumper sticker? What's that? It'll look just as good on a Prius as it will a Ford F-350. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't really matter what your political affiliation is, although. No. I mean, it, yeah, should, I mean, it shouldn't matter. It sh- No, not really. Um, unless you're offended by all the things that we've offended people for this episode. Yeah. This is the episode where we offend people, I think. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. All right. That's the show this week, guys. See you next week. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs>